Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 3. In this episode, we will be talking to Nick Green, better known as Hollywood on the Trail. We were excited to have him on the pod to talk to him about his newly released documentary on his thru-hike of the Appalachian Trail, which he did back in 2020. Before we start the pod, we just want to say, please go and check out his film, Pack and Soul, which you can currently find on Vimeo. There are just some artists that pour out their entire heart into a project, and Pack and Soul is a prime example of it. In this episode, we talk about what it takes to film an outdoor documentary, how the Appalachian Trail gives you just a glimpse into the cultural diversity of America, and that if you can't carry it in your backpack or in your soul, you don't need it. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Hollywood. Trail Talks time. Trail Talks time. Trail Talks time. Trail Talks time. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Trail Talks. That was so strange. What was that? We're training for our next hike. We're trying stuff. You know what? Give us the credit where the credit is definitely not due. Hello, people. Welcome back to Trail Talks. We are on episode three today. We are interviewing Hollywood, and we are very, very excited. Um, We wish we... Met him more on the trail. We met him briefly while up in New Hampshire. But, um, you know, after hearing about his story and then watching his full-length documentary, we, like, really wish we caught him on trail. Mm-hmm. But, yes, he thru-hiked the Appalachian Trail back in 2020. And all while filming a documentary. And his documentary is now live. It is on Vimeo. You can buy it. Go check it out. It is a wonderful documentary. Mm-hmm. It is called Pack and Soul. Um, and we are here to talk to him about his journey and his film. Yeah. So let's, let's bring do him it. On. Oh, uh, check this out on Spotify. Um, all episodes are up to date. I know a lot of people don't really watch Instagram live, but if you like listening to podcasts, you can find it there. Um, question for anybody watching and anybody listening afterwards. Um, what was the first trail vlog or trail documentary that you ever watched of a thru-hike? Drop it down in the comments. There it is. Hey, Shark Boy, Lava Girl, Hollywood. Woohoo! Oh, Goober Turkey, hello! Yeah, hi! Alright, let's see. Leafy Greens. Leafy Greens, I miss you. Alright, here we go. Hello! Hello, sir. <laughs> What's up? How are you? Does this work? Am I am I clear? Am I? Present? You look beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Here's here's how like not uh, savvy with Instagram I am. I was trying to do it on my desktop, like on my laptop rather, not <laughs> phone. And I don't know, if you, I don't know if you can even do that. So anyway, I'm on the phone now. <laughs> nice, love it. Doing a little webcam from 1999. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where where uh-huh. are you calling from? I'm in Los Angeles. I live out here. Nice. Is yeah. that where you're originally from? I'm from actually Hollywood, Florida. So I'm I'm from it's like Fort Lauderdale, Miami area. Yeah. Um, but I moved out here about ten years ago for filmmaking, for acting, and I've just been here ever since and love it. It's fantastic. It. Yeah, Sweet. yeah. Um, 
Wait, wait, wait. You told us that you wanted to become a shortstop on the New York Yankees. Why did you like the Yankees if you're not anywhere near New York? My, my fam, my mom's side of the family's from Brooklyn. My grandfather was a massive Yankees fan, and I grew up playing baseball my whole life. So that was just kind of like uh, born inside me, I suppose. And yeah, I always, I always dreamed of doing that. But alas, yeah. you know, I guess uh, hiking's a pretty good alternative to shortstop for the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> um. Cool. So you moved out to Los Angeles. Did you go to school out there for film or did you? No. So I, I went to University of Florida up in Gainesville and mm -hmm. I studied theater. I was a dual major, theater major and international relations. Um, actually, I did my study abroad at Tel Aviv University in Israel. And cool. for doing that, I was there for about the year. And for doing that, they kind of just like handed me a... Uh, international relations degree. I was kind of like, okay, cool. Like I wasn't going for that at all. I was really into theater, mm -hmm. and, uh, but I ended up with those two. And then the plan was always to uh, pursue filmmaking and the, you know, it was either New York or California was really the two options. And I just really vibed with Southern California. I mean, like an hour in any direction and you're in just the most beautiful serene landscape and hiking in the middle of nowhere atop these gorgeous mountains. And I just, I, I knew I wanted to make my life here as opposed to new york so that's kind of how it ended up and it was like 10 years ago now and uh the yeah i mean it, you know i i enjoy la as a city but it's all the surrounding areas that really kind of identify with i mean i always tell somebody the best part of la is being able to get out of la yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so many people don't for some reason like they come to the city and they just stay here and they're gridlocked. And like, I wouldn't like that. If, if that was my experience with LA, I would not enjoy it. Um, but the, the ability to go to all these like beautiful little uh, landscape type towns is, it's awesome. So if, have you been out here? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've, we've, I've okay. been out there three times. Yeah, okay. we flew into LA when we went out to Yosemite. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so we spent like half a day in LA and then left. <laughs> and it's tough. You're like, you don't know what to do. I mean, you show up, you're at the airport. You're like, do I go downtown? Not yeah. Really. Do I go to Hollywood? Not really. You know what I mean? <laughs> what do I even do here? So it could be daunting. Anyway, next time you're here, let me know. You got a place to stay and I'll show you around for sure. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. You're awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, we're from probably about 30 minutes outside of New York City. So we get yeah. it like, yeah. I mean, of course, there's a lot to do in Manhattan and it's a beautiful city, but everything outside of it is just so much more wonderful than like in it. Absolutely. And it's so hard to get out of like to get out of the city is a is a to do, you know, to yes. like you can train it, I suppose, but like to rent a car to plan it all. It's like it's really, really tough. Actually, a buddy of mine had a really cool adventure business called Source Adventures, where he would like coordinate these trips for people to get out of the city and go do snowboarding adventures or climbing or something like that, whitewater rafting. It was awesome. People loved it. It's just, it's really hard. The accessibility is tough. But once you do it, obviously the outskirts of New York area, upstate, it's amazing. Yeah. It's Dude, the, the toll from, uh, to get from New Jersey into New York, whether you're in the Lincoln Tunnel or the GW Bridge is I think $18 now, $17. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Exorbitant, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, Anyways. Um, what was I gonna say? So you, when you studied theater, did you do just like straight acting or were you in musical theater? No, I enjoy musical theater and I come from a musical background. My brothers and I all play. We kind of converted our, our garage into a recording studio growing up. I have three brothers and we all play. So music's really important. 
Um, I always liked musical theater, but that was not my my forte. I uh, I, I was kind of more of a straight actor, I suppose you say. Um, but I mean, theater and film and music and art in general, for me, it's all just kind of all encompassing. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. people always ask, you know, well, what kind of acting do you do or do you want to do? And for me, it's always just like, it's it's all great. It's all wonderful and soul fulfilling. So it, uh, I kind of, it's all encompassing. I actually, I went to, right after college, I spent a little bit of time in Rwanda, Africa, working over there with a group of artists. And their viewpoint, I really absorbed um, because they re they don't make too much distinction between art and just everyday life and healthcare. And it's all kind of wrapped up into one experience, which is what I thought I would find on trail and what I did find on trail, personally speaking. I mean, it was so artistic. I didn't have to pick up the camera to feel like a poet or to feel like a storyteller. It was all there engulfed and you're ensconced in it and i'm sure you had a very similar experience i mean i know yeah. you guys were doing art a lot on trail and that's important but it's all art it's all the same yeah. thing and it's you know there's a stigma behind calling yourself an artist and i feel that i mean I, I think it's weird but when you're doing art you feel a certain way and i don't know of another way to describe it you know yeah Boy, really well said. Really well said. So, what 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 got you into hiking? You're from Florida, like how? <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> like... <laughs> uh, I I've always been a bit adventurous, and I've always kind of daydreamed about what's out there, you know. And when I was in high school, I had a group of friends, uh, French Canadian friends, and French. Canadians are just intrinsically adventurous people and they just kind of like take your shoes off and go out into the wilderness type of people. So they really actually opened my eyes a lot to to exploration. So we would like our our source of fun would be what, what's the highest tree we can find next to a water source and jump out of, you know, and we would just do that. And then we would go camping up in uh, North Florida. There are a lot of really beautiful natural springs. So we would go camping in these gorgeous springs and and it just kind of like felt home to me. You know, I, yeah. I enjoy being with people. I really do. And I enjoy society. But I I feel more at home, honestly, just out there, you know, whether by myself or with a select few people, uh, I really feel at home. So they kind of opened my eyes to this whole new world. And when I was very young, my family has this winter uh, home in North Carolina, right by Carver's Gap, if you remember where that was. Yep. Yeah, of course. Um, so it was like 10 or 15 minutes from Carver's Gap. And we would go there for winter break. We would go, you know, skiing and snowboarding up there. And we would go always hike a bit of the AT. And I was like 10 years old. And I remember seeing, you know, these through hikers, which I didn't know what that was or what it meant. And I just, I just knew I had an affinity toward them to their smelliness, to their exertion of energy, to whatever the, the grit in their eyes, you know, and the passion in their eyes. I knew I wanted that. So from a very young age, I knew I wanted to hike the AT. And yeah, even being from Florida and like, you know, going out on boats and water skiing and in the Everglades, it's not quite mountain hiking, but it's, again, it's similar to art. It's like, it's all encompassing. It's, it's yeah. an for adventure and whatever that brings. So, uh, yeah, I you know, I always just grew up hungry for the unknown, I suppose. Yeah. Um talk 
Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, when was your first backpacking trip? Was it like first day on the AT or had, did you do anything before that? I've done a lot of short backpacking trips. So like we're talking weekend stuff. I think yeah. maybe the longest one was five days, week long, something like that. But never, never any sort of what I would call, what we call a through hike. You know what I mean? There was never any experience like that, um, which, is, which is daunting. I mean, you before you take your first steps on trail, you question yourself a lot, you know, and and you get it like you you announce this big experience to the world and you kind of really commit to it and you're scared to death inside that you're not going to be cut out for it and you're not going to be prepared and you're not on and on and on and on mm -hmm. which is really the hardest part because as soon as you take your first steps it does it feels like home as, as challenging as it is it feels easy in that you should be there whatever happens you may not you may not make it to Katahdin it doesn't mm -hmm. matter you should yeah. be where you are at that moment. So um, again, just again, being in California, I think it's easy to just go out and do these weekend things. Uh, so I had a lot of experience with it, but never an extensive something like this, you know? Gotcha. Um, so this is going back to Carver's Gap. Uh, was it hard to dig up like the old family, like VCR tapes to put in the documentary? Uh, fortunately, my family specifically my brothers but i mean my my parents and my grandparents too we we've made a lot of home videos over the years and they kind of just get stuffed in some shelf or another but uh we did find a lot of old footage and it was it was beautiful to go back and see where it really all started because you concoct this memory in your mind too you know i was 10 years old that the same thing i told you it's like a whole concoction in my mind and you're not quite sure if that's true or not yeah. But it was cool to validate that experience going back there and seeing that, you know, that anticipation and passion in my eyes as a 10 year old thinking, wow, he really did want to do this. Yeah. And it's so cool to now be able to fulfill that dream, to satiate that urge, you know, yeah. um, they were lying around somewhere. I'm sure there are so many more that we can conjure up at some point. Uh, but it was really neat to see the ones that we found for sure. Wow. Mm. Oh, Here's a question. Were you on Survivor? No. <laughs> in the buff that I was wearing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was curious about that. <laughs> Man, living in Los Angeles, you meet, you know, just the wackiest people in terms of, like, their connections and what they've done. So that, I do a lot of teaching, uh, specifically in the Jewish community in Los Angeles, but, you know, teaching all around. And one of my students, his dad was a producer on Survivor. So oh, okay. when he found out I was doing this, he brought it as a gift for me. He was like, hey, man, can you wear this? I was like, hell yeah, I can wear this. <laughs> so it was it was really fun uh, to have that. And and um, no, I was on Survivor. I think <laughs> did you get a lot of questions on trail about it? About the Survivor buff? Yeah, I did actually. Yeah, it's people are still obsessed with that show. Oh, like yeah. today. Yeah. They're 18, 20, whatever, so many seasons in, they are. They're, <laughs> and actually, uh, uh, my fiance's cousin, he works on Survivor as well. So it was really cool to have that connection uh, too. So the Survivor connection is real. Maybe, who knows, maybe that's in my path one day. Gotcha. There was another, uh, Taylor the New Hampshire hiker, I'm pretty sure she had a Survivor buff that she carried on. Really? I, I'm pretty sure. She wasn't on Survivor. I'm pretty sure the same thing, like a friend gave it to her. Yeah. But I feel like I remember seeing one in her videos. Yeah, I so. don't know. That's funny. Everyone just yeah. likes the show, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got some friends that like it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they're far in on it now. I think 18 yeah. seasons. 
Here's a question someone asked. Kev said, where are you about to go, EU? I don't know what EU means, but- Europe? Europe? Europe, am I gonna go to Europe? I'm not, I don't think I'm going to Europe. I really wanna hike the Florida Trail next. That's- Interesting. That's kind of in my bones right now. And no nuggets by any chance? Yeah, Kayla. Kayla, yeah, she's she just started today or yesterday, maybe she's she's doing the Florida Trail and that like ignite reignited something inside of me too, seeing her do that. So I being from Florida, I mean, as you pointed out earlier, it's not really in our makeup to, to do stuff like that. I didn't even know the Florida Trail existed until mm-hmm. not very long ago, honestly, which is a shame because yeah. it's looking at pictures and talking to people who have done it's beautiful, like really gorgeous. People who have done it and also have done other trails talk about how much, uh, how much, uh, how many animals you see on there. And and like, it's the topography is beautiful. So I'm really interested in doing that at some point. I'm sure it would feel like home too, which would be very nostalgic in that sense. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever meet um, a guy named SWAT during your through hike? No, I did not. Uh, he he started on the Florida Trail and then connected it to the AT and was going. Oh, oh my yeah. god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, those people are crazy. He's insane. <laughs> it's so interesting the perspective or perception rather people have because you know someone will talk to you two and they'll say, "Wow, you did that the AT. You're going to do the PCT, whatever." And then we look to people that are like above us and like, yeah. no, this guy or the girl did this. And then they look to other people. There's always somebody crazier than you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, when did you start or when was your original start date for the Appalachian Trail? April 2nd. I wanted to start April 2nd because I didn't want to start on April 1st. <laughs> like April 1st. <laughs> Um, I hate the cold, honestly, I really don't enjoy cold weather. So I thought that'd be a good, a good uh, middle ground and just very clearly postponed it for obvious reasons. Yeah. And really the tipping point for me was um, late April, early May. I was looking around Venice Beach where I live and just I saw so many people you know, just living their lives out here as if nothing was happening. And a lot of whom were not wearing masks or taking it seriously. The perception of California is that everything was like locked down and we couldn't do anything, which like isn't true. It was basically the same as anywhere else. Um, so I thought, what, what, am, what are we doing, really? You know what I mean? Like, why am I here instead of being somewhere where we're going to be intentional about our you know, taking care, you know, being careful? But there i thought it would be a better place honestly to be out there and i totally understood going into these vulnerable trail towns and and you know where there's elderly populations or the resupply was tough and that sort of thing and we considered all of that but ultimately i just decided you know what if it's not now when is it going to be and yeah. there there could be a safe way to do this and i think we exemplified that i mean yeah. i'm not I'm not aware of of anybody really who who got sick out there i don't know if you are but i don't i don't know single person you know as opposed to all my friends back when we're getting it you know yeah Yeah, no i mean it it parallels like we started the trail march 16th and got 12 days in and then got kicked off in franklin went back home to jersey yeah like stayed in whatever lockdown new york new jersey was doing yeah um and they were encouraging you to go out and hike they're like get outside and it's like Oh. So I was like, all right, well, might as well just start this trip. And we also like we were contemplating, you know, going through the towns, you know, mm-hmm. keeping the people safe of the trail towns. 
But like once you get out there, like you realize that they're desperate for like the economy. They're desperate for the hikers to come through to, you know, pay their bills, to let them live as a trail town. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a different perspective. It's it's so easy now to, to like, you know, talk shit on how we were feeling way back then. But I mean, to be fair, nobody knew. I mean, we still no, don't no like, we were so we were so in the dark about so many things. So yeah. there were no right decisions and there were no wrong decisions way back then. And and even now it's so hard to criticize people on what they do on the side, because it's just, there's so many unknowns and um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a whole other discussion. You know, yeah. you know, it's cool, though. Here's something positive I will I will point mm. out. When when everything started really shutting down in a big way, that was when I first got on Instagram. Like, as I was saying, when I first joined, I, I'm such a noob when it comes to a lot of this stuff. But that was when I realized all the benefits of social media and they were there and they were plentiful, really. I mean, like mm -hmm. I'm, I was such a hater on social media in so many ways. And I still think it has its downfalls. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. But there are so many positives. And that was the only way to really find out what was happening on trail was to get on Instagram mm -hmm. and contact hikers who were on there. I mean, I'm sure people were contacting you and just like to figure out what is happening. What is the resupply situation like? And unfortunately, a lot of a lot of organizations that we were relying upon were not disseminating that information. They were kind of taking the not, there's nothing to see here approach. And it's just like, that's not what's happening. Can we mm -hmm. please be truthful and, and transparent? And that's when this person-to-person -person Instagram world really was was phenomenal. So yeah. I'm thankful that that I kind of got over myself and joined. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was it was very nice to have the the Facebook group, that Facebook um, like messenger group where everyone was about like 50 miles ahead or 50 miles behind mm -hmm. talking Amazing. to each other. Yeah, it was just such a tight knit community. It was really really helpful. Yeah. And it's always, it's so phenomenal to think about. I was talking to this filmmaker who made a film back in the 80s about the AT, which is beautiful, by the way. It's called North to Katahdin. Mm. Um, and we, I was talking to him about his experience on the AT and just that was always what I envisioned the AT was going to be. You know what I mean? Like reading trail books and figuring out like who's ahead of you, who's behind you, not calling your parents or your girlfriend all the time and that kind of stuff. Clearly, it's a different world we live yeah. in. And and we pointed out there are positives. But there is something to be said about 2020 being the year most similar to something so long ago, mm. you know, where the information was so sparse, where there was very few people on trail for big stretches. Kind of a cool experience, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. We went through the Smoky Mountains and we yeah. were the only people there. The only people there. <laughs> we saw three other people and, and the it's amount of wildlife we saw, it was it felt like we were on the wilderness and, yeah. and I really like, I took those moments for granted and it was just something so special to yeah. take in. It allowed the trail to heal 2020 in a lot of ways because of just yeah. the overuse that it was having. Yeah, I mean, there's the Max Patch dilemma right now, which I'm sure yeah. you're And I was totally unaware of that when I was there. I mean, there were tons of people, but I didn't realize the scope of how bad it was getting there. And if, I mean, we've proven time and time again that human beings are not very good stewards of this earth, you know what I mean? And sometimes yeah. the best stewardship we can have is just leaving it the hell alone and mm -hmm. just letting it heal itself, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm glad they made that decision at Max Patch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what do you remember of your first moments 
on the AT when you got to step foot on it. Yeah, it was so emo it was very emotional for me. I'm sure it is for a lot of people too. But it, it was just, a, you know, the recognition of something actually happening, something that you've dreamed about for a long time. And uh, there, there's a weird sentimentality that happens to a lot of people on trail. And I'm definitely one of those people I'm kind of emotional and sensitive, I suppose, as it is. And doing something like that, where you're just left with your thoughts. Um, it was it was pretty overwhelming in a big way. You know, I didn't I didn't it was a beautiful day. First of all, the first like week I was out on trail, I was like, Oh, my God, what are people talking about rain and cold? What? You know, <laughs> um, it was really, again, easy, not to be misconstrued with not challenging. You know what I mean? Like, oh, my, this is exactly where I want to be, where I should be. And I'm loving every step I'm taking right now. As hard and challenging as it is, I'm, I'm absolutely loving this, which was um, validation for the decision. Because even then, I was kind of like, should I be doing this? You know, yeah. it's the right thing to do. I mean, and, and not only because of what other people are going to think, but like, you know, I had my now fiance home. I just kind of left during a really uncertain time and that's not lost on me how essentially selfish that is you know what i mean and she was right there with me the whole time though you know she was so supportive of it so for so many different reasons it was it was quite emotional in a very beautiful way yeah did you do the approach trail you know what i didn't and and mm. i didn't <laughs> <laughs> it's no no i i i no, I hear what you're saying. Because the only reason I didn't was because I don't know, in my mind, I already had like main brain then and I was like, I don't want to waste any opportunity. I really want to get going. I really want to start. I really want to go. And looking back on it, I had every intention to do it. It just didn't work out for some reason. So you didn't I, miss much. You didn't miss anything. <laughs> you're it's fine. Terrible. I didn't terrible. miss much, but I do still inside I feel the face that you just made at me, I feel that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. you know what? The more you find out about people's experiences on trail, the more you realize everybody has like that little secret, that little step oh, they yeah. didn't do that they don't really talk about, but they're not ashamed of, but they kind of are ashamed of, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, fine. it's fine. Yeah. What were your first few moments on trail, like with other hikers and saying that you're, you're filming a documentary or you're, you're putting a camera up to their face? Like, what were their reactions? I was terrible at it. I really sucked at being a filmmaker because, because I made the decision to be a hiker first and then film everything. Um, I, I was so hyper aware of not only at, everybody else's experience and not wanting to ruin them, but my own experience. I didn't want to be taken out of a moment just to capture it on film, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. so I was terribly nervous and shy asking people um, at the beginning to, for their stories and just telling them that I was making a documentary. Uh, I, I would film these just like ridiculous mundane things and then just witnessed this amazing moment go by without capturing any of it. But I, I realized now that all of that was a reflection of who I was as a hiker as well. I was just learning how to walk. You know what I mean? I'm just learning what to do. So that mo those moments really, I think, came out on screen as well. They really, they really resembled what my actual experience was like. So um, 
I think it worked out exactly how it should have worked out. You know? when, um, when did you make the decision to do the documentary? It's a good question. I, I, it just sort of always was in my mind, I suppose. There was never a moment that I thought, great, that's what I'm going to do, a documentary. It just kind of was like, I know I'm out there. I know I need to do some sort of art. What's that art going to be? Well, of course, I'll film it. You know, always kind of subscribe to that mentality when I thought about the AT. So it was something I wanted to do for a long time. And then the actual facilitation of it was like, you know, two years in the making. I mean, acquiring all the lightweight equipment and what's going to work best out there and how do I transfer my footage and all that stuff. That was like a year and a half, two years in the making. Seriously, it's like there was just as much preparation for that as there was for hiking the trail and figuring out what, I, what equipment I needed for that as well. So there was a lot of preparation that went into it. I mean, yeah. just simple things like, what am I going to do for batteries? How am I going to save all this footage and offload it off my SD card onto a you know, reliable source and all that stuff was treacherous. What was, what was the most complicated part of being on trail and then like saving the footage? Um, so what I ended up doing was I bought a lot of SD cards. Hmm. So I had a lot of memory. And in North Carolina, I met my family. Mm -hmm. And I just offloaded everything I had there. And then I kind of started fresh with all those memory cards. And then I did it, I think, one more time. Where the hell did I do it? I might have gone just to the very end then with the footage, which is terrifying. Wow. Like yeah. you have everything here on these like little cards that may or may not be spoiled by the time you, you know, offload your footage. Yeah. So that was that was pretty treacherous, honestly. It's just I have this precious footage. I hope everything turns out okay. You know? Yeah. And then going back and looking at the footage was a whole experience in itself. I mean honestly editing the editing process was every bit as difficult, if not more, than hiking the trail. It really was. It was an absolute behemoth to take this entire experience is like 22 hours of footage and condense it, you know? So mm -hmm. it was a year of really working on that. Okay. Oh, I want to get back to the documentary stuff, but I want to keep talking about just like your AT experience. Mm -hmm. sure. But uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I love that. Um, what were some of your, um, someone asked in the chat before, what was the wildest wildlife you came, wildest yeah. wildlife you came across? wildlife so about a week in or so i tied my bear bag incorrectly clearly because i i woke up in the morning and there was there was no food at all <laughs> and it was pretty close to my tent as well which you probably i don't know maybe you shouldn't do also and bear just like left this giant bear dump <laughs> right right <laughs> so um that was pretty tantalizing and you know that was only like a weekend or so so that was pretty cool um i did not here's the here's the wildest wildlife i did not see was a moose mm. I never saw a moose we didn't did you oh uh we no, saw, we we saw one well poet from shaw's was driving us yeah. okay. into the 100 mile wilderness and we saw one from the car but we never That's came true. across one which is seeing one but right i understand y yeah I tried so hard. I, I literally sat there for like four or five hours one day, just like <laughs> really fresh cat. You know, I was like, okay, it's gonna, there's gonna, cause it's all over trail. Everywhere, yeah. there's moose cat. So I'm looking, looking, looking for five, four or five hours, something like that and nothing. So that was my biggest, uh, 
not regret, but my biggest downside of wildlife was not. Yeah, we camped. We camped by water sources like every day in Maine, hoping. Hoping. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Did Did you ever hear it like barreling through the forest? Like how loud? I did, but yeah, apparently they were in the rut then, so it was they were looking for mates and stuff, and I did hear them for sure. And it sounds like a freaking semi truck driving. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gnarly man. Like it, I did, wasn't quite aware of how aggressive they could be and how strong they are, but I did hear it, so I got that, I guess. <laughs> what were some of your favorite states, and um, uh, maybe not this, but <laughs> least favorite states on trail? My favorites, I mean, okay, so I have I have three. North Carolina for obvious sentimental reasons. Once I hiked into Carver's Gap and that whole, again, I was just a crybaby the whole time, just really being sentimental about the whole thing. And and I just, I guess I'm partial to North Carolina. I think it's so beautiful. That whole North Carolina, Tennessee, you know, those, those balds and everything, they're just absolutely gorgeous. Again, Max Patch. So I loved North Carolina. And then it's it's Maine and New Hampshire, undeniable, in my opinion. I mean, it's just so gorgeous, especially the fall foliage that we were hiking through at that time was, yeah. God, it was a fantasy land walking through there. And no, I, I didn't dislike any state. I mean, they all had something nice. I just like the whole, I suppose, deli blazing aspect of the trail for me was novel and it's cool in that regard but i really enjoy just being out as far as i can so like coming across a road every few miles and that sort of thing so like you know the new jersey new york area again it, it's beautiful and it's gorgeous it was just not the most terrific thing personally for me to, to have to you know go into town so often yeah no i get it also yeah. the time of year we went through it was just so hot in the it was hot. yeah yeah, but the positives were that I had a few friends come visit me, and that's where a couple of them came, was right then. So it was like, this. there's a really positive aspect of these trails as well, you know? So yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't dislike any any state, but there were some doubts. Did the honeymoon phase ever end for you? Not really, honestly. I mean, I, I was, I, I was wide-eyed pretty much the entire time. I was stoked to be out there. You know, I... Uh, the only downside of starting so late, I started May 10th, and I really wish I could have taken longer. I really had every intention of taking five and a half or six months to do the trail, and it ended up being four and a half. And like the week after I summited Katahdin, which was September 29th, it was complete whiteout, snow cover. Uh, two people actually died on Katahdin I'm not I'm sure you're aware of that but like it was it's really dangerous man we had to get there before October I mean in a big way and clearly people do it into October and beyond and and that's cool that's wonderful I just know personally I wanted to get there before mm -hmm. so um the honeymoon phase was only thwarted by the fact that I I really was kind of on the go I wish I could have come across a cool spot and just stay there two, three days, you know what I mean? And not worry about continuing on, you know? Yeah. And I know a lot of people felt that way. Yeah. I mean, you didn't, you, you were, you were smart to, to summit when you did, we summited October 8th, 8th and yeah. you, you mentioned, it, you mentioned the two dead bodies. Like we saw one up there. We saw one we, up there. We were part of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. We were part of like caveman and snail and all those yeah. people that went up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It was dangerous. <laughs> it was, it was Every, a lot. 
everything was slippery. You were getting like hailed sideways on. Like it, it was, it was nerve wracking. Yeah. Yeah. I wish we had a better day. <laughs> I, re I remember like we just watched your seventh episode yesterday, oh, last cool. night, mm -hmm. and and seeing just like how much like wonderment is in your eyes going up the spine of Katahdin. Yeah. And Fear. I was just like, I wish I could have seen anything. Oh, like, <laughs> I was just terrified the whole time. What an experience. And yeah, oh, it's yeah. fortunate for those people who end up passing yeah. away. They're, they're yeah. Bad stories. And, and unfortunately, you know, it just kind of comes with the territory. You know, yeah. what we're doing can be quite dangerous, you know? And again, perspective is kind of a hell of a thing because I don't view it as dangerous sometimes you know what i mean i'm looking at yeah. freaking alex honold and free solo and i'm saying that's dangerous and he's looking yeah. at no oh, that's dangerous yeah but the reality is it could even what we're doing could be uh, quite dangerous at at times so mm -hmm. um you know my heart goes out to those people's families and and it's just it kind of comes with the territory sometimes yeah. yeah mother nature is not to be messed with and you yeah. have to listen to her yeah which is part of the trail experience to realize you know, how small we are, but in turn, how big nature is, and for us to be part of nature, how big we are too, you know, yeah. to really be part of something so big. You know, the even the hurricanes that we pass through in Pennsylvania, New York, yeah. a hurricane in the forest is a wild experience. You know what I mean? So like you, no matter how tough you are, you realize, well, you are not as tough as Mm -hmm. other earths that we have you know didn't like tornadoes touch down too yeah i feel like there was a tornado right yeah absolutely that was when every so there are so many you know tree uh tree falls and things like that blowdowns that was when i got gut hook i had like uh. <laughs> a wall map the whole time and i was like this is great i don't need gut hook and then i was hiking for about with a buddy and then i kind of left him like two hours later three hours later he's coming like this way at me coming toward me i'm like what are you doing man why are you going the wrong way you know i thought he hitched ahead and then was going back or something he, you know, clearly i was going the wrong way somewhere <laughs> i turned around i was walking for miles in the wrong direction i was like screw this i'm getting gut hook <laughs> <laughs> life becomes a lot easier when you can just follow a little pinpoint <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> um what was the reason why why what I'm about to say sounds terrible. Why didn't you shower a lot in the beginning of the trail? I remember you said you were at a hostel and you were like, I think I've only showered five times and three of them were back-to-back -back zero days. That is true. Because I wanted that on-trail experience, I that also meant that I didn't want to spend too much time in towns. And don't get me wrong, the hostel experience is wonderful. Like I think that's every bit a part of the trail as the trail itself. I'm a big proponent of hostile life. However, I wanted to maximize time on trail. So there were, there were multiple occasions where I would go resupply food and just go right back to trail, which led into like not showering and being extremely unhygienic. And it kind of, it bit me, it did, because I had styes in my eye like several times and it was not a healthy uh, lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, I would wash off in, in rivers and stuff like that, but there's there's no substitute for a bar of soap. So uh, yeah, I just wanted to maximize my time on trail. So I would go like 10 days, two weeks at a time without showering, without going into town, staying at a hostel, you know? And I loved it. I, it felt cool. It felt like I was on, in, 
on the wild frontier in Alaska and like the gold rush or something. You know what I mean? I love that. It was really, really neat, which made the hostel experience and the trail town experience so much more enjoyable. Yeah. Like, I really crave this right now. You know, I really like this interaction with my fellow humans and it feels great to have a nice hot meal. It feels great to shower and, and you know, let hot water run across my body and use a bar of soap. It lets you appreciate those moments even more, I think. Yeah, well said. Um, yeah. Was the trail experience everything um, like young Nick dreamed of? I, I think it was and more. There were there were certain things that I you know that we all experienced that you can you can never really fathom. You know, the camaraderie out there was something that uh, everyone talks about it. Everybody says the best part of their IT experience is is the camaraderie and the people you meet. You know, that's a very typical answer. And even though you hear that all the time, you never truly understand what that means until you make that friendship, you know, and they're everlasting. And sometimes it's somebody you meet on trail for an hour or less and you never see them again. But sharing that bond together for that, you know, short amount of time or just knowing what you've gone through is similar to what they've gone through. It's an inexplicable bond that I think only people who do something like this really get. You know what I mean? They, you talk about people, you know, enlisted in the military or something like that. That's a whole other level. I mean, that's so strong. This might mm -hmm. be a glimpse into what that might feel like, you know? Mm -hmm. Well said. Yeah. Um, going so fast like you did, did you stay in any form of bubble or were you just like flying past a bunch of people? I popped in and out a lot. Um, there were, there were people that I saw at multiple, you know, spots. I haven't seen you since Virginia. This is really cool. You know what I mean? Seeker is somebody I hiked with a lot at different points. Mm -hmm storyteller I saw at the very beginning and we hiked for you know a week or two at the very beginning and then I didn't see him again until New Hampshire you know what I mean? so like it was cool to pop in and out of different bubbles and in and out of different people's lives and because again this year was so wacky or 2020 my god it's 2022 already <laughs> <laughs> doesn't exist <laughs> yeah because 2020 was so wacky in terms of people flip-flopping and getting off, getting back, going fast, going slow. Uh, I'm sure there were some bubbles, but it was an atypical year in terms of bubbles, I think. The bubblage was uh, not as, as pertinent as it was on other years, I suppose. But it was cool. It was cool to hop in and out of people's lives all the time. Yeah. It was nice to see a lot of the flip-floppers or northbounders that then ended up flip-flopping. Um, yeah. Like we said, SWAT before, but also um, Knoxville. 40, yeah, yeah. 40, he's 40 to us. He's never Knoxville. <laughs> too, man. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was in the documentary too. Like running into him again, going the other way. What a cool experience that is, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Really yeah, yeah. experience. And then you'll never see him again. You'll just be like, all right, see you later. <laughs> yeah, that's, Knoxville's cool because I do, I do keep in touch with a, a fair amount of those people. And he's somebody that I do keep in touch with a lot. And we share a pretty nice bond. At the Alda gathering uh, a couple of months, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. which was a phenomenal experience, by the yeah. way. I would highly recommend that to anybody, whether you've hiked or not, whether you have the ambitions. It's such a wonderful experience because the joy I have right now of speaking to you about this is exactly what you feel nonstop 
there. It's only it's even amplified because you're around everybody and like these, you know, these legends of the trail. Warren Doyle yeah. sitting right next to you, the guy who started all those, like the twenty, you know, the these legends are around you and everybody feels the same way. Anyway, Knoxville was there and we got to reminisce and a few other people were there as well that that uh, it, it was really it filled your heart, you know, to, to be around people again, because so many of, of these people, too, like you, you don't have everything in common with you really don't. And in real life, maybe you don't develop a bond like that with them. But because you have the trail, because you have this one thing in common, you're 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 bound together by this inexplicable bond, and and you don't really have to think about it beyond that. You just kind of. Yeah. And it's it's so important to keep those connections in life because, yes. I mean, it's it's so hard to find people off trail that can really share in those moments that you experience on trail. Um, and and a lot of times it feels isolating. <laughs> you know what I mean, like. I, I feel awful talking to people over and over and over again about trail life, especially like in front of Sarah, who's my fiance in front of Sarah. Like, I feel terrible. It's the same damn stories over. She's heard <laughs> over and over and over. And, you know, it's cool to not have to have that, that sort of stigma behind it when you're talking to someone mm -hmm. else who's experienced something similar, you know? <laughs> I now understand what it feels like to be a grandfather saying the same story over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> over, and over, and over, over, and over. <laughs> but it's meaningful, you know. I, I, I hope I keep telling these stories over and over again because it was, it was wonderful, and I hope I make more stories. You know, I don't want to stop here. You, you all are heading out on the PCT, is that right? Yeah, yep, yep. yep. Um, yeah. Weather, sometime in March. Yeah, love it. Giving. When, when you do come through this area, I'd love to come do some magic for you guys. So, um, oh, short drive from us, and and uh, I'd love to meet you out on trail. We did that last yeah. year. So cool, man. It was a really cool experience. How close is the PCT to, to the LA area? Um, there are several different spots. You can kind of go mm -hmm. like southeast, east, northeast, that sort of thing. Probably like an hour and a half, maybe is the close maybe an hour is the closest. Okay. So it's not very far from LA at all, actually. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so we'll definitely really we'll neat. definitely hit you up. We definitely are hundred would love to meet you. A hundred percent. Very cool. Um did your trail injuries ever heal? I remember you had a few in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. It was, I had shin splints really badly and I never had shin splints before. I've never experienced that, you know? So that kind of threw me for a bit of a loop and I was, I was devastated. I was like, oh my God, is this, is this it? Am I inadequate? My body's failing on me sort, sort of experience. And then when I got, when I got the x-ray, they were just kind of like, nope, you're fine. Just, you know, kind of stay off it. Stop being a baby. <laughs> like, <okay>. Yeah. <laughs> um they healed very nicely actually yeah i just got off trail for a week um and then just slowly started going again and i never experienced any sort of pain after that by the time for uh, for me my experience was by the time i got to pennsylvania i, I just felt like a machine I mean, everything just well oiled and like nothing hurt after that at all. I didn't get any sort of blisters. I didn't no shin splint issues. I mean, again, still very challenging, but up in the morning, no like hiker hobble or anything like that. Just out on trail and let's go. So the first the first half, obviously very difficult and your body pays pays the price, you know, takes a toll on you. But for for me anyway, the second half was just it felt really good. Wait, I'm going back. You did not have hiker hobble from Pennsylvania on. How? Yeah. 
How? No, no. It's <laughs> did good. you do anything? Like, were you stretching? Either. Like, I didn't really, either though. Out of like Every morning. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and be like waddling. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was maybe you just get used to it. I I don't know. For me personally, I just I felt like I I feel good. My body feels great. You know what I mean? And yeah. no, must be nice. Maybe it's just like. The low drum of pain that you always feel. Maybe you're just used to that. Maybe it's yeah, just a monotonous thing that you just get mm -hmm. used to. But I never had those big moments like, oh my God, I have to get off trail. My shin splints or like I hurt my collarbone, just like I fell back on it. Not nothing like that happened. But mm -hmm. okay, to be fair, like there are these the low drum that you're just yeah just life at that point. You know what I mean? You get so used to just living with pain. Like yeah. constantly, yeah, that like, you forget about it. You, you start to reconcile what pain is. I mean, does does this even hurt right now? I maybe not. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I used to think hurt now doesn't hurt. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And it's also trail legs are such a crazy thing. Being able to just every day wake up and crush. just crush a twenty five, then go to bed and rinse and repeat and do it again. What was your? Um, we did we did the we did the four state challenge and that was the biggest regret ever. Oh, <laughs> buy it or what? We did we did we um we didn't do it right. Yeah, so so what happened is we we aqua blazed after the Shenandoah. So from Front Royal to Harper's Ferry, we were like we're gonna come oh, in on thing. okay Walmart rafts. We're gonna fly <laughs> into Harper's Ferry. This is gonna be yeah. a fun time. Yeah, uh, we made it probably not even halfway and we went maybe six miles on the river in these tiny little blow-up rafts and we we're like we're crushing oh, beers and we're like this isn't working like the we gotta get off <laughs> so we found um we found a trail angel that hitched us into harper's ferry because that was like the closest access to the trail that we were at and so we started from harper's ferry and then went to the mason dixon line and that was like 41 or 42 miles i guess gotcha. um we we did it in like 24 five hours yeah. the beers and the like lit laying on the river definitely hindered yes. our ability <laughs> to move a lot <laughs> i i think uh yeah aqua blazing which i did as well was a phenomenal experience i don't think i think more people should do that that should be the yeah. official part of the trail <laughs> <laughs> kind of skirt through the shenandoahs i suppose you did it afterwards though but it, it was it was a really cool part of the experience mm -hmm. which is which really adds weight to the hike your own hike mantra yes. you know i mean it really is so many people wouldn't do that because they want to stay pure and which is cool which is fine i just don't want anybody else who's considering to do that like i don't want to i don't want them to feel like they shouldn't because of some sort of perspective you know absolutely mm -hmm. well um um at experience is an at experience whether you skirt yeah. around something or or not yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely um did you see any bald eagles while you were aquablazing? I saw, I had a really cool experience with a bald eagle. So I did, I did, I aquablazed by myself, actually. I was trying to coordinate with other people and it just, it didn't work out. So I thought, screw it, I'll just do it by myself, which was a wonderful experience in itself. And it was about 5 p.m. And the sun's starting to go down and I start hearing a lot of flappy noises and things like that. And I look up and there's a bald eagle, like, fight in the air with wow. these other little birds, which I couldn't identify, but it was about five or six of these little birds attacking this bald eagle. And he's like trying to attack them back. And I was looking at this, this war, this battle in the skies. And it was really, really interesting. Then another bald eagle joins the battle to kind of help out his buddy 
But these little birds were so tenacious, man. They really gave these eagles, like an eagle, they, they were giving it a run for its money. So it was cool. It was about, I don't know, five or 10 minutes of that, which was a wonderful experience. And, you know, again, you're sitting there by yourself. I tried to get my camera out and film it, and I did an okay. I got a little bit of footage, but not really. But you, there's these moments where you look up and you thought, you know, I'm, a normal day in Los Angeles does not provide me with this experience. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. I, I think another amazing experience about the Aqua Blaze was that you have your head down a lot when you're hiking and yeah. to have this very meditative experience, just looking up at the rolling greens of the Shenandoahs and really being like, wow, I'm doing this thing. Like, this is something that I'm out here. I'm yeah. taking the moment to actually like take it in and be as present as I can. Yeah. That yeah. was something that There's, I really enjoyed. That's beautiful. And you know, I, I look at, I looked at the trail a lot from a historical standpoint as well. I really felt not only the footsteps of people who've hiked before me on the trail, but the people who have walked in that area as well. And the South for me is really, I find it very fascinating. I love the South in a big way. So I was listening to like Thomas Jefferson's biography when I was walking through Virginia, you know, and and having that experience, knowing that through some weird way I'm connected to Thomas Jefferson and that we're walking through the same hills. I mean, yeah. we really are. And that, that experience to me is really wonderful. And, and I think oftentimes, get, oftentimes gets overlooked as well. You know, these historical moments where all these civil war battles were fought and American revolution battles were fought and these things that, you know, are so profound in not only American history, but human history. And you're walking right through it. There it is, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where the, you know, Shays Rebellion was, or on and on and on. It's an unbelievable experience. Yeah, I remember we were um, slack packing in Massachusetts and we came across the plaque of Shays Rebellion. And I just stood there and like, it was such a surreal moment. I was like, oh, wow. Like I'm really yeah. walking through this field right now. I didn't even know I was coming across this at the moment. Right. It's, and yeah. I was like, wow. Yeah. You, know, you think about what a couple hundred years can do and the evolution of human history and you think about the fortune that we have right now the fact that we're sitting here reminiscing about this unbelievable time in our lives and we're fortunate enough to do that and especially during the time in which we did it it wasn't lost on me and i don't think it's lost on a lot of people you know yeah. that how fortunate we were to be able to do something like this when a lot of the world's in in peril in a big way mm-hmm. and it's it's pretty cumbersome you know to think about it and it uh, i don't want it to weigh me down you know but i want to be um, cognizant of it i want to recognize it as well and on a tough day let it propel you you know what i mean to say okay i have the ability now i have this opportunity now go do it because you will not be in this position always and for people who haven't done it or aren't able to do it like you better freaking do it. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're not making excuses. So you shouldn't either, you know? Mm -hmm. Nice. Well said. Um, in episode two, um, I, I was personally like just smiling by the aura of the trail angel, um, cowboy. Was that his name? Oh my God. What a wild, what a cool dude. Um, did you have any like favorite trail angels or trail magic moments? Every angel was my favorite trail angel. <laughs> they really, were. yeah. Don Green is his name, cowboy, and okay. 
E man, I that was my first like real interaction with the Trail Angel. I had a couple before that were pretty pretty rad also, but this one was like that was right when I had shin splints and I had got I got off trail and I was like, all right, that's it. I broke my leg. I'm gonna like have to hitchhike back to Los Angeles. Maybe I'll make a documentary about that. Cool. You know what I mean? I was trying to pump myself up, and I met this guy, and again he had um, stickers all over his 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 uh truck and maybe i disagreed with them and i had a preconceived notion and that ended up being the entire point of why he had them there to have this dialogue and and to to be with him we were together for about 45 minutes and it felt like an eternity because in a really positive way to be able to have that connection with somebody again that doesn't happen when you just like mm -hmm. live your day in la or new jersey going about your business you know what i mean yeah happens when you step outside your comfort zone and get out into the, the the real world the actual real world where people live and it's not just you with your tunnel vision you know so that experience was absolutely wonderful and the fact that his name was don green which was my grandfather's name there's some kinship there which was so beautiful um there's a guy all the way up north in maine named john holmes who i stayed in contact with did you guys meet him by any chance or do you no we didn't yeah he's he was such a lovely individual him and his his partner leslie and their whole group i mean they drove hours to get us from this point to that point and bring us this and you know what i mean just to be able to sit there and talk with him who's never hiked a mile on the at he's never wow. done any anything that's not his purpose for being his purpose for being is to be with hikers because he loves the mentality of it you know so I'm again, I text and talk to him all the time. I'm still in contact with him. And uh, he was a really wonderful experience as well, him and his crew. Yeah, we, we've That's met a few trail angels. Um, a big one was uh, Rob Bird. Like, yeah. they have never set foot on the AT. Mm -hmm. And yeah. they really, like, don't have any interest. But they have this huge desire to just yeah. provide for the hikers. And that's that's a very interesting perspective. And I, I think all of that is encompassing of what a through hike is made of, right? I mean, again, my my stubborn brain of what I I thought I might enjoy, just this like have to be on trail, have to go be with nature, you know, that sort of thing was so thwarted by the camaraderie of the other hikers, but then also of the trail angels and the shuttle drivers and the hostel owners and the town folk. And, you know, how many people come up to you when you're just, you know, at the grocery store or something, getting a resupply and talk to you there. Hey, you doing the AT? Cool, man. Can I talk to you for a second? I've always wanted to. We're on and on and on. And that's a really wonderful experience as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, was it fun to grow out the hair and the beard? so fun i loved it i loved every second of it i mean i i always rock a bit of a beard and in some capacity and i have this big jufro that always gets real big and it's a lot of fun to to wear um so to see what your body does in all capacities over the course of four and a half months five months was really neat it was cool to see you know the evolution of not only getting skinnier but getting thicker here and here and trying to figure out what a what does a body do you know from from that standpoint was really neat uh and yeah didn't shave one time and then the end of it which there's like a little clip in there at, in in episode seven where it's like time to shave yep and so emotional again yeah. like, this is the end right i mean clearly it wasn't because 
this is where it ends and starts and all that stuff and it never truly ends but this is a moment you know like mm -hmm. okay we're done here yeah and that that was pretty special actually i was pretty terrified you were just gonna shave it all off and i was like no <laughs> but which brings begs the another point um I, I don't think i look very good without a beard maybe like kind of hides my face i get to hide behind it a little bit or something like that sarah asked me one time she's like you know you always kind of have a beard shave it i want to see what it looks like shave it i really want you to and i was like okay so i went ahead and i shaved it all and i come out of the bathroom and she takes one look at me and she says okay <laughs> like, uh, I gotcha. 10 for so, <laughs> I always like to believe a little bit of something there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was glad I didn't have to shave it too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, talking about how much your body changed, you lost a lot of weight. Like you were skinny. You were really skinny at the end. Yeah. Did you not lose that much weight? Both. Of you no, no, I oh, did. Uh, I was like yeah. 127 by the end, and I'm normally like 155. I was we're, like, and no. we're the same. We're, we pretty much had the same experience then. Yeah. Um, did you feel? Uh, because no one else has been able to connect on this with me is like, it was so cold in Maine and I was frigid in Maine. Oh, body fat. <laughs> so cold. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a pansy when it comes to cold anyway. So yeah, I was definitely cold up there. And I, I mean, that makes perfect sense that if you don't, you have less body fat, you have nothing there. I read this article before I left about this guy who threw hiked. And by the time he hit New Hampshire, he jumped in a lake and he like damn near drowned one because his arms just had no muscle on them anymore you know oh like God. working his arms out and two because he had no body fat he was just mm. like it was so difficult for him to to just stay born in a lake in new hampshire so i made a vow to myself i was like you know what i want to maintain some sort of muscle throughout this entire thing not just on my legs so i did 100 push-ups and 100 sit-ups every single night I, I, I think I missed probably like 10 days or something out of the whole. Yeah. So I felt pretty good on that front. I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of fit, but it's a weird fit. It's not, you're in good shape. You're in like trail shape, which doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean good shape. It's not good human shape. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It's like constantly feeling like a machine, but also like anything could break you at the same time. Like your body feels so frail in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> I, was with, I was with somebody named Books, a lady named Books one time. Yeah. We met her a bunch of times. Great. Yeah. Okay. So I'm with Books and she forgot her filter somewhere like mm. uh, at the previous shelter or something. And she was like, hold on, I'm gonna leave my pack here. I got to go get it. And she literally started running down the trail. And I was like, what are you doing? Don't run. I didn't, it, it kind of like hit me. I didn't run one time in four and a half months. And I'm a, I'm a pretty avid runner. Like I love running just because like that wasn't what we were doing. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? That's not the workout we were getting. So afterward, when I started running uh, again, things were weird, man. My lower back was really hurting for a couple of weeks and like, it wasn't a normal seamless transition back into a normal workout routine or yeah. living routine. You know, it, it really took some time for me. Talking about running and, and hiking and getting adjusted. Do you feel like the way you walk or the way you, you hiked changed like from the beginning when you were getting injuries to like, you know, the machine that you were up North? Good question. I know I really, blame the majority of my shin splints on my shoes i really do just because they were so worn out and i was just i was so cheap 
Like, I don't know why I had that mentality of like, let's see how long I can wear these shoes. <laughs> I know it, it was such a dumb decision on my part that I did not, I did not make that mistake again. Once I rectified it, mm -hmm. I was cognizant about my shoes. Um, so I think I was pretty consistent with um, my gait. I got a lot faster as time went on clearly, but um, I don't think I made any like drastic changes to how I walked or, or what I did and how I took steps. I walked, I think it's called uh, with a pronated footstep. So it's like, I'm like in a little bit or I walk on the outsides a little bit, one of those things and kind of like pigeon toed a little bit on one of my foot. Um, so I, that maybe that had something to do with it, but that's just how I've always walked and run and that sort of thing. So I kind of wanted to just stay as natural as possible. And exactly. footwear was so important. And I really think that was a big reason why I got those shin splints. Yeah. Gotcha. What shoes were you wearing? I was wearing um, uh, Brooks Cascadia, which I love Brooks. I've worn them my entire life. I've run with them my entire life. I've hiked with them. But it was just too far along in the process of the shoe. Mm -hmm. the shoe. So I ended up wearing La Sportiva Wildcats, which have become my favorite shoe of all time. I absolutely love them. They're so durable. They're so reliable. They're so comfortable and so personally good for me. I think shoes are like absolutely personal. So yes. you can get recommendations all day long. You got to see what, what's right for you. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. um, I have a funny story. This is going back to uh, books. Yeah. I remember um, we were camping with Wayward yeah. um, at Hexacube Shelter. And then we were climbing yeah. Cube that morning. Yeah. And... I remember books comes barreling up. We're like taking a lunch break or snack break and books comes barreling up and she's like, Oh yeah. Hollywood's behind me. Like you're going to meet Hollywood. And I'm like, Oh, that's great. So we met a Hollywood probably three days into our through hike in Georgia. Yeah. It was a redhead. It was a ginger. And we were like, Whoa, this guy made it. Like haven't seen this guy since yeah. day three. And here comes like a, like a little tiny Jewish man running <laughs> up the mountain. And we're like, that's, that's not him. That's what did, what did this girl do to him? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I that other Hollywood. Um, I was aware of him for a while, for sure. We never actually crossed paths, but uh, <laughs> I think he actually lives in LA somewhere. I think he works in the film industry doing lighting or yeah. something like that. So hopefully, I meet him one day. That's pretty funny. <laughs> it was, but then you and books like you guys were like, "All right, time to go," and we're like, "All right, we'll hike." And yeah. you guys are running, just running, and we're yeah. like, "Whoa, all right." When we when I met you two, that was that was like peak machine. Mm -hmm. books is an awesome hiker it was really cool yeah. to for a while because we really pushed each other in a big way and like there there's an athletic aspect to the trail too that i really enjoy like a competition athletic prowess thing that i that i love it's really fun to push yourself a little bit so we mm -hmm. we loved doing 20s in the whites and you know up through the presidentials like all right let's do 25 today let's go do it and and yeah. doing it and accomplishing it and she was a big part of that experience with me so uh, you know i love it for that yeah. So you did do like twenties through the White Mountains? Yeah, we we did, we did too. too. And yeah. and there's people that were like, oh, like it's so hard. Yeah, I I shortened it to like ten miles a day. Mm -hmm. And like we did a twenty six over Washington, and then we were like, we were dead afterwards. It was tiring. Hard, but hard, but you can do it, right? You can totally do it. Interesting. Yeah. And I mean, we didn't have the hut experience. I think like previous hikers have had. Mm -hmm. So that would have been cool to like have a hut experience. We didn't have it. So what are we going to do? You know what I mean? Just keep hiking. <laughs> so, you <Yep>. know? <laughs> and, and that was sort of that experience. But um, I, I loved it. I loved the whites. I loved the challenge. Mm -hmm. I thought it was, it was challenging, but nothing insurmountable, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, 
it's funny because for the duration of from the day you get on trail at Springer or Amicalola for you, <laughs> um, <laughs> people are talking about, you know, when you get to the whites and it's going to be beautiful and it's so hard and like, wait till you get up there, you know, and when you're at uh, Greylock or something or when you're at Lehigh Gap and you're doing like a little bit of climbing, I was like, mm -hmm. get to the whites. So it's built up in your mind so much. Yeah. Yep. That by the time you get there, it's like, okay, we're not, you know, we're not freaking Frodo climbing Mordor here. Like it's, <laughs> it's a, we can do this, but it yeah. every bit as beautiful as everyone mm -hmm. was going to be. Yeah. It really just is. It's undeniable. Yeah. Yeah. That the previous November before getting out on trail, we went up to the whites and we climbed Franconia in the snow and ice. And that was like one of the coolest experiences. And oh, being wow. on being on trail there and being like, wow, like we're going to come back here in like peak of summer and get to see it in a completely different like environment. It was so cool. Yeah. That Franconia is really cool. It reminded me of running, being like William Wallace and Braveheart and just running through the Scottish Highlands or something. Yeah. <laughs> experience. And again, I mean, the different topography from South to North to, to feel mm -hmm. that change in our own country. I mean, there are, there are so many, different aspects to the United States on the East Coast alone, let alone the rest of the country, from the way people interact with one another and, and treat themselves to how they feel about the world to the actual landscape. This country is so diverse from South to North, and it's something to be celebrated in my mind. I think the diversity is is beautiful and we shouldn't shy away from that i'm not talking about different in a bad way i'm talking about different in a good way because there are positive yeah. aspects to all of it and that yeah. was something again historically speaking thinking about it from like a sociological way how different our country really is and then after we finished my uh, sarah and i drove from maine down to philly where her family is and then from philly back to los angeles we we to see the entire country and to mm -hmm appreciate how different we all are but the connectivity through this american thread my god absolutely beautiful yeah yeah, yeah. we live in south korea right now and the size of south korea is the size of the state of kentucky great and yeah. it's a be beautiful culture beautiful country yeah. in its own way but there's just something to be said about the size and the majesticness of america that's mm -hmm. so diverse that's so that offers just just a melting pot of, of both nature and people and everything mm -hmm. is just really beautiful. It's something I miss a lot. Yeah, it's it's beautiful and it's fascinating and it's invigorating and it's all those things. And in a, in a day and age where it's easy to sometimes like shit on the United States, you know, to feel down about where we are as a country from any perspective. You know what I mean? It's so easy to, to think that. It was such a wonderful reminder to think about, to, have, to feel a sense of pride about yeah in which we live and yeah there are challenges of course there are but it's not perfect but to know that it's there those challenges are so very worth solving you know because, mm -hmm. because of the country that we have it's beautiful and um yeah i love it south korea is phenomenal by the way we were there a couple of years ago actually it was oh, cool. really a neat experience so i'm sure you guys are having a wonderful time over there yeah. did you do any of the hiking not really no unfortunately so we were there uh, I'll make this very, very brief. We were there. My grandfather was in the Korean War. So mm -hmm. they have this unbelievable program called the Revisit Program, where if your grandfather or if, if someone in your, if you are indeed the person who were in, was in the Korean War, 
or a family member of the person, you get to go back to Korea on like essentially an all expenses paid trip and, and experience this whole, whole, this whole wonderful adventure that the, the Korean government puts on. So people from all over the world were there and it was a wonder, my grandfather since passed away, but I was there with my dad and my brother and my cousin and to experience that side of, of history too, from the Korean perspective was fascinating. So lovely. Yeah. Are you into military history? I assume since I, I am uh, to a certain extent. I mean, I think as tragic as it all is, it's so pertinent to our human history, you know, so I, it does fascinate me, you know, and especially the Korean war, seeing that I have a familial connection to it. Mm -hmm. uh, I've learned a lot about it and I've written a lot about it. So, um, yeah, it, it is fascinating to me for sure. It's very interesting how, like, um, just all of the Asian countries have dictated another Asian country at some point. Like, Korea was dominated by Japan, dominated by China, dominated by everyone. Mm -hmm. And just to see the, the culture, like, being infused in those different ways, like, yeah. through dish it, through food, through... Yeah. Just, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's another American perspective that I thought was pretty profound for me. So we went to Vietnam and Korea on that trip. Mm -hmm. And to think about the idea of half a century ago, if I were, if I was here, what would I be doing? Well, I'd be fighting the person I'm now sharing a beer with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And where we've come, I mean, like to share beers as opposed to a battlefield, it's yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. that sort of experience as well, it, it, it was not lost on me or anybody I was with. It, it was a really beautiful experience in that regard. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. Part of the reason we're in South Korea is because of books, Pigeon and Wayward. Yeah, great. They, yeah, cool. Yeah, they encouraged us when we were in Lehigh Gap when we first met them. They're like, you should just go do it. And we're like, okay. And now we're here. And cool is that? That's no. influence that. Yeah experience has you're like yeah that sounds great okay i'm gonna do that you know <laughs> yeah phenomenal oh yeah oh it all of them yeah Ooh, I had a what do you question got? i debated never mind never let's, mind let's move on to filming okay great. More. we've been talking a lot so what was there like a set goal in mind of what you wanted to achieve through the documentary and then like how did that shift as the trail went on there were there were two things i wanted to accomplish i didn't know how i was going to accomplish it but there are two goals in mind one was i wanted people to feel what it was like to be on trail instead of to see what it was like or to instead of to learn about the trail i really wanted to give people an idea of feeling mm -hmm. the other thing was i wanted to show um, connection. I had this word connection in my mind. I wrote it on uh, paper and I just stuck it on my wall for a long time before I left. And then after I got back and I wanted people to, for them to feel connected to uh, me and my experience on trail, for me to feel connected to others experience on trail, to feel connected to the history. And then as we talked about just an American connection and really just a worldly connection right i mean it's my i'm of the viewpoint anyway that we all are we are all connected as human beings as sentient beings as really just people here 
animals here on this earth, we have some sort of intrinsic connection to one another. Whether we're alive now or we've lived 2,000 years ago or 2,000 years down the line, there's some sort of connection there. And um, I think a trail is a really spiritual place to find that connection. Yeah. So those, that's a lot of like really, <laughs> you know, uh, heavy type of uh, feeling, but that was the goal. So yeah. I watched so many different um, uh, through hiking documentaries and just hiking documentaries before I left. And I loved them all. I thought they were all great from people filming these beautiful you know, landscape shots and, you know, maybe they didn't through hike, but they just made a, a section, you know, part about a section of the trail or through hikers, you know, trail diary, you know, like a vlog where they had their cell phone and they were just filming like that. I think they were all great. They all had something to add. My goal was to kind of combine the two. I wanted to see if I could do like a true through hiking documentary with a, a cinematic approach to it. Um, so again, I, I, I didn't know what it was going to be. I scripted out all these things that may or may not happen in these feelings I may or may not want to convey, like the, in the anticipation leading up to it or what I was leaving behind and that sort of thing. But once I got out there, it all just really took off, took a shape of its own. So um, it, it was something that I knew once I hit the ground, it was going to be decided once I got back and, and got into post, that's when the true shape was going to take, you know, take mm -hmm. form. Yeah, you said it was weird um, in the beginning to have to ask hikers or yourself to like redo stuff and make it like organic again. Did you have to do that a lot or was a lot of the footage that you got like pretty? All the footage that's in the in the documentary in Pack and Soul is all, it's the first time because <laughs> it mm. worked. It never worked anytime. I was, and it wouldn't be like it wouldn't be like staged really it was more just like someone said something really funny and i was like hey that was that was really funny say that one more time you know what i mean and it was just like well no it kind of lost its luster mm -hmm. that's dumb i don't want to say it again or it was like uh i'm trying to think of a, of a good example of when i tried to recreate something and it just didn't work it never worked so i've made a a promise to myself that i wasn't going to do that because Ultimately, when I was trying to re, I mean, there's so many life adages on that you learn on trail, you know what I mean, that you transfer. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, if I would try to recreate something, I was missing something else that mm -hmm. would be worthwhile. So why am I focusing on what already happened when I can focus on this concurrent life that we have right in front of us? You mm -hmm. know, it's happening. Just just enjoy it and be in it. You know, stop living yeah. in the past so much. So none of that facade really made it in. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I, my favorite is we also met Walmart and I remember yeah. one moment on camera, he said something like, uh, I forget, I'm paraphrasing, but like I changed the way I act in front of the camera. Yeah. Did a lot of people, um, like the minute you just threw the camera up, did a lot of the hikers like change their personality or like yeah. how, cause you know, I mean, hiker life is just so grotesque <laughs> and like you say the weirdest things in camp, did they like keep doing that or, or did they like, you know, become more timid when the camera was in front? Walmart. I love that guy. He, <laughs> um, the best, the best compliment I got about this entire experience was from um, Free Walker and Walden who are a mm. duo. Yeah. And they said when, uh, when I released the documentary, they were just like, man, I, I didn't even know you were making the documentary. 
which was the best feeling for me because I didn't want people to know. I didn't want it to dominate the experience. I didn't want it to be like, oh, here's Hollywood with his camera. Inevitably, sometimes that happened and in, in, in the Walmart instance, you know, it did, um, which I thought was was lovely also and really, yeah. yeah. it was so authentically him, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I really didn't want people to know that I had this camera right here. So a lot of the a lot of the footage is like shooting up at people because I just wanted it here instead of in front of my face or from the side or you know I just left it on a tripod or something like that. Because I didn't I didn't I wanted to be a hiker first. I didn't want to be some guy trying to capitalize on this trail for his own self worth. You know what I mean? Which is inevitably sometimes what we do and sometimes what I was doing, of course. But I didn't want that to dominate the experience. So. Yeah though it it didn't happen very often where people were startled by the camera because i tried my best to make it to conceal it to make it incognito a little bit so like you know when people are talking about how you poop on trail you know what i mean that whole experience that was real man we were just talking about it and it's like okay this is this is real like what how do you poop on trail oh i like to hold the tree i like to do this i like to do that i mean those sorts of moments i thought were really charming and wonderful and i tried to capture those as much as i could yeah that was well done. The mm -hmm. whole seeker scene was really funny. <laughs> He's just great. He's a guy. So there were a few people though, where you, where you shine a camera on them and then they just, they, they like jump into action, man. They just shine. And seeker was one of them. He was so good at just being himself and more on camera. You know what I mean? He really rose to the occasion. So I was glad I was around him as much as I was and able to film him as much as I was. Yeah. What filming did you, what filming experience did you have prior to the AT? Like, have you done documentaries before or like, where do you dabble? This is my first, this was my first documentary. Um, I've done a lot of narrative work tip. Mostly I do acting work. So I'm kind of like a gun for hire in, in, you know, TV shows and little parts in movies and things like that. Um, but my, all of my brothers and I are filmmakers to, to some capacity. Um, and we grew up just making, everything we possibly could. And, and once I moved out to LA, I just started, I continued it and made it professional. You know what I mean? So I've made uh, several films and, and shorts and, and features alike. And then have been a part of, again, interest in the professional world out here, but I'd never done anything documentary. And there's a wonderfully liberating aspect to documentary. You get to do whatever you want and you get to do whatever the world presents you. It's also extremely daunting because you don't know what the world is going to present you, you know, and and it's you. There's no script you're hiding behind. Like if someone watches Pack and Soul and they're like, that sucked. It's kind of like it's like that's me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I suck. Yeah. So I suck. You know what I mean? Which what very well, well may happen, um, at least with, you know, narrative. You can blame it on the writing, blame it on the editing, blame it on whatever. It wasn't really me. It was a character, that sort of thing. But if someone's like, oh, that that character in Fag and Soul is very unlikable. You know, that's vulnerable experience. It really is. Which ultimately is, is fine. It's it's fun. And, and there might be some people who think that. And that's okay. They're entitled to that opinion and experience. Sure. Um, but the vast majority of the documentary experience has been wonderful really really wonderful to the point where like I, I want to keep creating more and i and i will keep creating more we have a couple of um uh subjects that we're probably going to be touching upon really soon more hiking and more exploring and that sort of thing and i'm really excited to jump into that world because it's phenomenal and the documentary world that we live in right now is outstanding 
Yes. Think about the documentaries we're watching right now. They are mm -hmm. superb from yes. 14 Peaks and, and Free Solo to just anything that doesn't have anything to do with hiking. Just the world of documentary right now is outstanding. So what a, what a better time to be an aspiring documentarian than right now, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No one's going to hate your no movie. No one's going to hate it. It was fantastic. It was awesome. We it was loved fantastic. it. Thank you. Yeah. glued to it. You're so yeah. supportive of that. And I really appreciate that. And, and, you know, if I could take a second here to thank you for what you're doing right here. I mean, like, clearly I'm getting something out of this, but like you're, you're the people who are viewing this and other ones that you've done. This is beautiful. This is a wonderfully connected um, experience right now. And you can either put positivity into the world or negativity. And what you're putting right now into the world is such love and positivity. So from the entire community, thank you for both doing Thank you. That. Thank you. I just, it, it feels, it feels good to um, reconnect. I, not just that, but on the through hike, it felt very selfish of like, let's document ourselves and let's like try to put ourselves out there. And then just coming off trail and seeing a world of just how many people are in this community. Yeah. It's like, what better way to use social media than to like highlight everyone, highlight everyone, yeah. as many people as we can, people that we're interested in, people that like just even reach out. It's just, it's, it's cool to really, mm -hmm. I don't know, just talk and let their voice be heard. And, there, and there's something to be said about using social media in the positive way. I mean, this, as we yeah. talked about at the beginning, there are serious downsides to it. This is not one of them. This is something that's really positive, man. You know, and if we can, you know, keep doing this and keep putting this out into the ether, this love and positivity and connectivity, that it only, it only breeds more. You know, yeah. it is, it's invigorating and, and I feel it when I watch your stuff and I'm sure, I hope other people are feeling it watching now and then it just keeps going, you know? Yeah. Pat, yeah. Keep passing it on to everyone else. Mm -hmm. um, tell, okay. Yeah. We want to know about the making of your mac and cheese <laughs> montage because that was just so great. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. It's one of my favorite parts. So the, I mean, I'll preface by saying each part of the trail had a very different feel to it um and i that's why there are seven episodes i had every intention of making a 90 minute film and then when i got back my younger brother mikey was like this is not a film this is a seven part series because there are these ebbs and flows and it it just was what it was and instead of fighting the trail you gotta realize the trail is always right and you gotta listen to her so i made it into a series anyway the fourth episode is where that happens. And I had a good buddy of mine, uh, Kazoo, come out to visit. Mm -hmm. And we just had all these little like shticks that we would do all the time. He's a shticky person and I'm a shticky person. And together we are shticky. So <laughs> we had like, you know, the joke telling portion back and forth. Yeah. Other, the talking about the Civil War and then this mac and cheese portion as well. Um, have you ever seen Chef's Table? Um, I'm sure you'll. Oh, we love Chef's Table. We're watching it right now. Yeah. <laughs> so Chef's Table and and on and on all these cooking shows where they take something that's seemingly so innocuous and they make it so beautiful and tantalizing. <laughs> I I love mac and cheese. I I wholeheartedly <laughs> love mac and cheese. And these moments on trail where you eat something like that and you're satiated finally is beautiful. I mean, we have abhorrent eating habits. We really do. Yeah. 
But it's, it, there's something beautiful about that as well, about like taking a moment and eating and recognizing it. So clearly it's a parody of, of Chef's Table and Beyond, but like there also is something, I kind of did feel that way about my food sometimes. You know what I mean? I felt just the, the like I was an artist making my food mm -hmm. out there and really enjoying every morsel of fiber going into my body. So um, I'm glad you appreciated that. It was really fun to make and really fun to edit. So I'm glad it came across as fun as well. Oh, the slow motion of that water going in. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I'm hungry right now. Like I want to be on trail with a bag of cheese. <laughs> what, was your, what was your favorite disgusting meal that you had? Oh. You had uh, disgusting? I didn't, I, honestly, I didn't really have too many disgusting meals. I feel like, oh no, I did. I feel like, you, I feel like we all uh, did. Maybe I'm just rose-colored glasses. My favorite thing was I did, like, banana chips. Like, I dehydrated banana chips oh, and great. peanut butter on tortillas. So it wasn't disgusting. No. I would eat so many of them. Like, that was my go-to thing. Yeah. Or um, nor, nor rice side with I guess, whatever tuna I could put in it. Yeah. <laughs> like an entire four servings. It wasn't easy. a really disgusting meal, but I had, um, I just started getting really bored of ramen and just the consistency of mush all the time. And so I, I like love sunflower seeds. And so I just started adding sunflower seeds into the ramen just to give it some form of texture. I'm just like, oh man, this tastes good now. <laughs> Very good. Stovetop stuffing. Oh, that's not I, Yeah. It was good. It was super trashy, but like it tasted so good. Like an entire bag just into your pot, just bread. Like it was great. <laughs> I'm a chocolate. What was yours? I love chocolate so much. So my mm. ended up being um a nutella just the whole thing of nutella and just pouring uh reese's peanut butter uh, or um, um reese's pieces in the nutella scooping it out with a spoon or taking a tortilla and just eating it just chocolate that eyes. sounds great our um our trail one of our family members would do cause you know cosmic brownies yeah like yeah, yeah. that dipped in the nutella <laughs> <laughs> so which listen i try i honestly started the trail wanting to eat it eat as healthily as possible it just uh -huh. it, it just wasn't getting the calories i mean i was having carrots and apples and stuff and i was just starving the entire the entire time so i kept the carrots i kept the apples and then just like i i kind of leaned into it i was like when when am i ever going to be able to do this again yeah eat nutella stuffed reese's pieces you know <laughs> we can go for it why not yeah. It definitely did uh, damage to my stomach, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had cavities afterwards, for yeah. sure. <laughs> oh, that too. Yeah. <laughs> my poor teeth. My cholesterol is still, like, skyrocketed from it. <laughs> <laughs> did, um, did you film any sketchy moments? Did you capture any, like, I don't know, maybe not sketchy, but strange moments on trail? I don't believe I caught any of those moments. There were a few sketch moments that I had. Um, where I, I was more kind of engrossed in the experience, I suppose, because I, I also, I also rather enjoy those moments in a weird sadistic way. Like, I think the, that's part of humanity. And that was part yeah. of the experience out there is like, you know, here you are by yourself, you know, for all intents and purposes. And what are you going to do in these moments? You know what I mean? So that hiker first mentality over a filmmaker, I think it was pertinent for me to really just live in those moments you know so there were there were a few that were pretty sketchy that i did not capture and kind of you know on purpose didn't capture it there were also some some moments where 
it just wasn't right to capture it. I mean, someone pouring their heart out or being vulnerable or telling a story about something where like, there was no way I was going to betray their trust. You know, mm -hmm. there was no way I was going to betray their experience or my experience. And just like, can, can I film it? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I'm not a sociopath. You know what I mean? That's crazy. So mm -hmm. I really tried to not um, betray people's trusts and and capture moments that were true to the trail both good and bad because i didn't want to just show hey this is wonderful it's all bubbles out here you know what i mean there are some really tough moments as well but i didn't want to i didn't want to betray people's trust you know okay yeah nice yeah mm -hmm. Do you want to jump into the rapid fire? Oh, yes. Okay. So okay. if you've seen the first two episodes, we were doing rapid fire hiker questions, like help, no explanation, just answer first thing that comes into your mind. Great. Um, we're going to put 60 seconds on the clock and we'll see how many we can get through. Love it. All right. Here we go. All right. Want to ask? Or do you want to ask? No. Wanna ask. Okay. You got it. Okay. Ready? And go. Poles or no poles? Poles. Hang or sleep with your food? Both. Best hiking shoe? Las Sportiva Wildcats. AT, PCT, or CDT? AT. Best state to hike in? North Carolina. Uh, favorite food to eat on trail? Reese's, Reese's Pieces in Nutella. <laughs> smiles over miles or miles over smiles? Smiles over miles. Longest mileage day? 32.8. Shelter or tent? Tent. Best season to hike in? uh fall one luxury item you carry camera tent or cowboy camp or hammock tent nero or zero zero night hike or day hike day hike cold soak or cook your food cold soak blue blaze or stay on trail stay on trail sunrise or sunset sunrise and time oh, oh, nice, nice. You're, you've gotten the farthest yeah. out of any of them so far <laughs> <laughs> Wait, real... wait, wait, wait. You, did you cold soak most of the trail? I, I switched in Pennsylvania. Uh, so oh. I, I cooked. I was only really eating dinner. I'm not like a coffee person or anything like that. And I just kind of, once I got to Pennsylvania, I was not really using my stove to its full capacity. And I thought to myself, let me try cold soaking. And I enjoyed it. Like, I'm not a very picky eater by any means. So I'm okay eating you know, lukewarm or, or outside temperature mac and cheese or something like that. And it ended up being just fine. So I'm a, I'm a big cold soaker. You take the Talenti jars and you just, yep. Yep. that's, that's the best way I found. Yeah. What was the best meal to cook cold soak? I would be sent these backpacker pantry meals, you know, like the Alpine, whatever they were called backpackers pantry. And every now and then my Sarah would send me some and they were awesome. They were really, really good. So I enjoyed those immensely. Nice. I did minute rice and that always re Okay. There you go. I did it really well. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Even like, you know, the mashed potatoes that everybody eats where yeah. it never seems like you could put enough water in there. There's always a dry spot at the bottom. I was like heating up water to put in those things. And then I realized you don't have to at all. They, you could yeah. just put water in and stir it around. And that's the same exact thing. Um, what, what, what food will you just not touch anymore? Like, what have you just burnt yourself out of? Uh, ironically enough, those mashed potatoes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I'm done with, I try to eat as healthily as possible anyway. Um, so 
I, again, out there, I, I'm a, I was a chocolate fiend and I really leaned into it and that's fine. But uh, back in the real world, I, I don't want anything to do with like packaged foods and preservatives and things like that. Sometimes I do. I mean, it's just the world we live in. But I try to eat as fresh as possible. So those those packaged mac and cheeses, I mean, um, uh, mashed potatoes, no bueno. So gotcha. I see I, there's a question on here about cold soaking. Mm -hmm. So Stu, what's up, Stu? Stu's actually uh, our cousin who works for Survivor, works on Survivor. So oh, cool. there he is. Right there. What's up, Ralph? Um, cold soaking, Stu, and he's a chef. I should say that as well. He's, he's ah. a chef. So cold soaking is where instead of heating up your food, you just like let it sit in water all day long. And then the water is what cooks it. So at night, you know, after six, seven hours or something like that, you can eat it and it's cooked. But it's not, you know, not nice and warm for you. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get back. I want to talk about the documentary, like um, editing and producing and post-production and all that. Um, how long after finishing the AT did you then like pick up the footage again and like really start to sort through it? It's an awesome question because it took a lot of consideration. So I was terrified to look at this footage, to tell you the truth. I really was. I got back. I immediately loaded everything onto like an online platform and backed it up on an external hard drive. So I had the footage. I knew that. But I was terrified to look at it and actually start the process of editing it, editing for two reasons, I think. One is because um, I knew it was going to be a lot of work and it was going to be daunting. You know, it was doing it was another through hike experience, really. So that was one. And then two, a part of me was scared about what I was going to see. You know, I had this experience. If I look back at this footage and it's not the same experience as I had up here, what is that going to mean for me? You know, yeah. and it was it was really scary. But then, you know, I kind of put my big my big boy pants on and I thought, what? OK, if I could do that, I can do this. So it took a good two or three weeks until I really sat down at my computer and looked at every single clip. And it took me about two weeks and it was an exhilarating experience to be able to go back and watch things I had forgotten about and see people that were so meaningful to me. And just to relive those experiences, it was beautiful. And then I got to work and I didn't stop for a year, you know? And, and fortunately I had my brothers there to help me with sound editing and just like making some sort of cohesive story structure out of this. Um, and like anything on trail, you don't do it yourself. There's always people around you to help you in some capacity, which is a beautiful thing. It was no different with the uh, editing process too. There was always somebody around me to help me. Cool. Yeah. I remember um, for us, we did like the normal, like try to upload vlogs, like on a camera throughout our entire experience. And then we got to, uh, we were probably halfway through Maine and I was just so burnt out of like trying to sit in the tent and edit at night that I was like, you know what? I'm so behind anyways. I'm like backed up into Vermont and I'm just going to not touch this until we get home from the hike and then I'll finish the rest of the vlogs. And that moment of just being able to like sit down and really like process the experience through film was so cool. Was just such a great yeah, yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful. I can't even imagine what it's like to finish the entire thing and then see day one. Yeah. Like, that must be a wow moment. It was fantastic, really exhilarating. And, you know, I, I, I highly urge everybody to 
do something artistic on trail, whatever that may mean to you, whether it's writing in a journal at night or filming or drawing a picture or sitting there and meditating, whatever you deem as artistic, it's so worthwhile for your actual experience to just sit there and slow down. You know, you don't have to get to Maine tonight. Take it in. You know, you will appreciate that later on. And then for the reason you just explained, to go back and look at that. If you drew a picture of the sunset at Max Patch, to go back and look at that picture you drew at that moment, you were immediately transported back to how you were feeling. Immediately. Looking at my trail diary, too. I mean, there were, there were things that I totally forgot about, and I forgot I felt that way about that thing. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so some sort of artistic endeavor was wonderful. And it's so cool that you, you both were able to share that together. Also, yeah. share that artistic experience together is amazing. I'm so happy that you were able to do that. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. It was very, very cool. Um, was the title planned after you met No Rush or was it decided while editing? The title, as soon as I met No Rush, <laughs> that guy changed my life, man. <laughs> he he's awesome. He's such a wonderful guy, and he's and I think he would appreciate me saying this. He's a guy that you would meet maybe in real life and be like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I have something in common with this guy, but thank God I have something in common with this guy because he's such a, such a wonderful person, and I'm so happy that we're connected. Not only now through the through the trail, but like in life in general. So. Um, when I met him and he gave me that quote about you pack it in your soul, I think I said it in there. I was like, man, I think you changed my life. And he did. Like, he really did. That moment was such a reckoning for me to, to understand that you're absolutely right. What's in our pack and what's in our soul defines who we are. Now, sometimes we have a bigger pack than other times, and that's up to us to decide. But really, we don't need all that other bullshit around us. We don't need it. Uh, and beyond that, it's detrimental, you know? So right then and there, I knew Pack and Soul was the new, was the new title of this experience. I didn't really have an old one. I was just calling it Through, T-H-R-U, um, just yeah. like a placeholder, but I'm glad I found that one. I think it works really well. I remember when we were interviewing Forty a few months back and he, he said, he was like, I saw Hollywood's um, documentary or the first episode and he said, if it's, not, if it's not in your pack, not in your soul, you don't, you don't need it. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that resonated. Yeah. And I'm not even hearing it from the source right now. Right, yeah. I'm like, wow. It's cool because No Rush read that in a trail diary, a trail journal, like years prior. So <laughs> like he's not even the source, but we are, we are all the source, which is the cool. Yes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like, it means just as much to me as it does to you too, as it does to No Rush, as it does to someone hearing it for the first time right now that's a cool thing and that's it's a damn good title <laughs> so i think yes it yeah. is it is <laughs> i think no rush for that um how did you go about piecing the episodes together like did you have an like an overall theme like arcing it um that's a good question too so the storyteller in me was like you have there has to be some sort of through line there has to be some sort of arc not only in each like in the entire experience but in each episode as well and i i honestly can say that pretty naturally that's sort of what happened i mean there are there are a range of emotions that happen from beginning to end and um i didn't want to overthink that because i think they were happening naturally and the reason we split it up into seven episodes instead of making it a 90 minute film was those arcs were apparent like 
you know, at the end of episode two, I'm, I'm at a clinic, I'm in the hospital, you know what I mean? Like, that's a really wonderfully tantalizing moment, storytelling wise to set you up for then the next episode, you know what I mean? Um, so I tried my best to stay out of the way in terms of contriving an arc. I really wanted to let it be um, flow itself. And I think it kind of did that. Um, so yeah. again, which was why the seven episode structure, I believe worked for this experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh, how long did each episode take to create and produce? Like how much time would you dedicate to one episode? So it was all, there were three and a half hour. I made a three and a half hour film essentially. Right. And I was like, I got to whittle this down. I got, this is way too long. Clearly no one's going to sit here and watch this whole thing. And I worked on that for a long time. And the best I could do honestly was get it to three and a half hours. Now someone watching it might say, well, I would have taken out this, that, and the other. And that's fine. Like I get that. But for me, like I love Ken Burns and Ken Burns stuff is like 22 and a half hours. You know what I mean? So I like that stuff. And for me, it was important to keep the stuff in. I wanted to keep in. So I made a three and a half hour experience and then went in and said, perfect uh, point to end it right there. Perfect out point, perfect in point. Again, 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 and found these seven of them. So um, they all basically took the same amount of time because I did them all together. And then you go in and fine tune it. There's so many things in film where you just, you're going back and doing it again. You're going back and doing sound. You're going back and color correcting. You're going back and on and on and on and on. You know, mm -hmm. so I would say they were all pretty similar. Some of them took a little bit longer just because there were more little editing details. Like ep episode four is the chef's table macaroni and cheese part. And like that sort of thing where I had to go in there and really get specific with the editing. So that might have taken a little bit longer. But essentially, it was all one block. And then it went through and said, this is where they separate. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be a very stereotypical question for an artist, but like what inspiration did you pull for the documentary? Like who are some of your biggest inspirations in film? There's a documentary called Hale County This Morning, This Evening. H-A-L-E is the name of the county. And it's about an African-American community in the South. And uh, a filmmaker moves there for five years or seven years or something like that. And all he does is film them that's it and their lives over the course of three or four years he films and he's such a beautiful documentarian that he does it in such a way that it's captivating without much else happening or needing much else to happen and what was what's blatantly apparent while you're watching this is that i don't think i've ever seen the african-american community in such a beautifully artistic portrayed way in the south right there you know what I mean? These are beautiful people in a beautiful part of the world doing beautiful things. And he's capturing them beautifully. You know what I mean? So yeah. I really took a lot of inspiration from uh, from him, from Mel Ross is his name. So from him and, and what he did with Hale County and wanted to get that same idea in Pack and Soul. And again, what I got from Hale County was I feel what it's like to be there. I'm not only watching it, I, I feel what's going on there. And that's what I wanted to get in Pack and Soul. Like, I feel maybe what it's like to like walk a day on the AT. Yeah. Nice. Nice. How did you go about the music that you added? So that's a good question. I wrote some of the music that's on there. So um, if ever there's like 
you know, an acoustic guitar type of experience that's me and I'm singing it. And actually the last song that's in there, Books is singing on there with me, um, mm. so, which is pretty cool. A lot of the other stuff is like the droning sounds is all um, royalty free music that I found online. Um, so I was able to acquire that. But so much of that, I think, helps to identify what we're feeling. I mean, clearly music is important in our lives. It's for, you know, mm. especially so for me. So I wanted to include something that was similar to the way I was feeling on trail. And a lot of it was very drony. It was just kind of like floating in a big way, you know? So I wanted to convey that. Yeah, well said. If you could um, change anything about your filming of the AT, is there anything that you would change? You know, our path is our path in a big way. And something that we obviously learn on there is, is there is one path, that's it. It's the one that you've walked and And you can learn from that and maybe choose something different in the future and walk a different path in the future. But what we've walked is what we walked. So everything that happened with Pack and Soul, everything that happened with the filming, everything that happened with the AT experience was the path. And I couldn't have been more proud of it. And all the, the challenges included. It was a wonderful experience that I'm sure I'll, I'll remember until I'm too old and can't remember things anymore. <laughs> nice. Um, is it uncomfortable to look back at some of the beginning footage, like of just you as like a baby hiker making your way, I don't know, into, into North Carolina and into Tennessee? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, again, partly because I, I didn't have a beard and you know how I feel about myself without a beard. <laughs> uh, no, for sure. I mean, you know, it, it's overwhelmingly a positive experience though because of what i just said about there being one path and like that's yeah. that's just as much a part of the experience as you know the ending shots are so i really i really enjoy it and um the the most vulnerable part about the entire film experience is being the subject itself well the subject is the at and the hikers of course but like the through line is like the journey mm -hmm. that took, right and mm -hmm. i don't ever want to consider myself as a selfish person by any means. Like I really want to live for the well-being of, of us as people and as animals and as, you know, inhabitants of this earth. So I, I tried my hardest to make it not about me, even though that's kind of counterintuitive to the idea of following someone's through hike. Um, I, I do get a little bit nervous or you know upset at the idea that I, it's just it's me a lot <laughs> you know what I mean and like as an actor one of the things I love about acting is that I don't get to be me I get to be somebody else for a little bit and that's really wonderful you know so um, that is a vulnerable experience and it makes me nervous but I also know that before anything wonderful in life ever happens you get nervous before it. And if you don't get nervous, that probably means nothing wonderful is about to happen. Mm. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's all good. It's all good. You know, even the cringeworthy parts are good, you know? Yeah, absolutely. What has it been like releasing it? Yeah, well, um, what are the steps of like yeah. producing, producing a documentary and like trying to get it out to the public? Great. So I, there was a, a lot of consideration about, okay, you have this thing, now what? You know, what do you do with it? Mm -hmm. And um, I watched so many documentaries on YouTube that were free and accessible, and I thought they were wonderful. 
I, I had a grandiose idea as I dream big and everything I do, really, I want, I, I wanted Pack and Soul to really be like one of the quintessential AT documentaries. I really want it to be that. And I don't want it to be better than other ones. I just want it to be as good as it could be. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I wanted it to um, stand alone a little bit. And I didn't want it to get lost so much in the YouTube world. Because again, I'm not shitting on the YouTube world. There's some awesome stuff on there. And I watched all of it. I think it's great. I really do. I just wanted it to separate this in some capacity as well. So that being said, we approached a lot of different um, streaming platforms and things like that. And there's, there's so much that goes along with that. You can't just like pick up the phone and be like, hello, Netflix. Hi. Yeah, I have this thing. You know, it's not, it doesn't really work like that. But um, we did find one platform called Documentary Plus that is so cool. Documentary Plus is amazing. They host such wonderful content on there. Anything you can watch on Documentary Plus is going to be good. So it's a free platform for users to go on and watch. And it hosts only documentaries and only quality stuff. And they dug it. They really dug Pack and Soul. So it's going to be on there um, February or something like that down the line, which I'm so, so excited about. And I'll you know have a release and stuff about that. But in the meantime, we wanted to make some money on it. Um, one, because we put in a hell of a lot of work and we thought, you know, it'd be cool to, to, to raise some funds to be able to do more stuff like this. And also because I think it's absolutely necessary. I think it's incumbent upon me to give back to the trail community. And so um, a portion of everything that's purchased will go back to trail organizations or conservancy efforts or trail angels or just individual hikers and trail magic and things like that trail maintenance i think it's so important we were not the first ones to pave this path other people's hard work and effort and love did that for us and we should be doing that for those to come we should be stewards as they were for us so i wanted to make money on it so we can then give a lot of it back well said nice. i I mean, but uh, coming from the other side, the more selfish side of like taking the money because you put in the work and effort, like we're both, um, we're both musicians. And so like, we understand that like, you know, the art that you put in and then the effort and the everything that you put in, like, you know, I mean, it, it's not free. Like the craft that you've worked at for years yeah. is not free craft. And I'm always down to support someone who's um, put in the time and the effort. And mm -hmm. there's almost a weight too to buying it. Like seeing something on YouTube is like, it's free. So if I'm not invested in the first five minutes, I'm just gonna click onto the next video. Yeah, you're And something like- Yeah, yeah. And something like, um, you know, like I'm paying the money to do it. I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna watch this thing for better or for worse. Yeah. For you, a lot better, but for, I mean, yeah, yeah. I absolutely agree with that for sure. And, and listen, man, I made a, um, a reckoning a long time ago with myself that if I want to pursue a, a career in art, whether it be film or music or theater or on and on and on, I'm, I'm okay not being a very rich person. I'm okay with that. If that yeah. at some capacity, hell yeah, cool. I'm down with that too. I, I will accept it. But that's not, that's not my goal, really. The goal is to make enough money so I can keep doing it. You know what I mean? And like when I passed a musician on the street busking, like if it's good enough, I'm there watching it. I don't just throw a dollar and leave or not throw a dollar and leave. I'm gonna like sit there and watch it, enjoy it and then pay for the experience. Like I really like doing that, you know what I mean? And so often it's like that's overlooked but other professions and careers 
that I would submit are maybe not as nourishing to the soul. Maybe we need those, and I'm sure we do, but not as nourishing to the soul. They are okay making tons of money, but sometimes an artist is not okay. And I, I've spent a long time, man, like coming to terms with that and being okay saying, yeah, maybe I will make some money on this thing that I do. You know what I mean? Because it's one of those things you can think about and, and say, no, art should be accessible to everybody. Accessible, absolutely. And if, if somebody cannot, I wrote it on you know the description somewhere, if you cannot afford whatever it is it costs to watch Pack and Soul, I'll gladly give it to you for free. You deserve to watch this, 100%. If you can afford to, do, to, to pay for it, let's do it, man. Let's make some money for these trail organizations. I'll take some of it and make another one to make more money for trail organizations. You know what I mean? Let's keep the cycle going. Yeah. And again, Absolutely. no one's getting rich on this shit, man. Like, I, that would, there was a misconception that I was ever going to make that much money. But, you know, so far we've made a few grand and that's going to go back to trail organizations. How cool is that? You know? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Cool, man. Cool, cool, cool. So what's next? What's uh, next on, what's the next documentary, the next project? So there, I had a phone call today with this wonderful person named J.R. Harris, who's this guy um who an explorer and i'm gonna call him an explorer because he's an explorer you know what i mean he's in the explorers club in uh new york which is like a really elite unit of buzz aldrin's in it and elon musk and like really you know people who have done phenomenal things and he's an african-american dude who grew up in new york a long time ago and he's just been exploring his entire life and he recognized that there was a real issue with um under recognized explorers in our world so if you think about any exploration the first um the first person hillary to stand on top of mount everest well hillary was not there by himself he had a sherpa what's a sherpa that's a human being who also deserves recognition just because they're from nepal doesn't mean they deserve any less recognition than anybody else so he's interested um and he's been talking to me which makes me really interested in this exploration to the north pole um the, the first two people to the north pole um uh, get essentially all the recognition and one of them actually was an african-american guy who didn't get recognition for like 50 years but they were surrounded by four inuit sherpas right like four inuit uh, people who helpers help them but nobody knows their names nobody knows who they are they never got any recognition and it's time to recognize these people. So we are at the very, very beginning stages, if this ever happens, which I hope to God it does, because it's beautiful, of going to Greenland and recognizing these individuals for the contributions they made to our world, to our society, and to exploration as a whole. Wow. That's awesome. That's wow, so that's cool. really, really cool, man. Isn't it dope, man? I know, I know. It's, it's those experiences, though. That's what I think is so wonderful about art and about documentary as a whole. Like, yes, you can make something about the AT and that's cool and film yourself doing it. I love doing that. I'm not taking anything away from that experience, but like there's a bigger picture there as well. You know, there, there are more, no, it's not more important, but there are other important things that deserve to have a light shown upon them. And if I can do that with art, I want to do that because that I think is important and that's love and positivity added to the world. Yeah. Great. Um, what has the experience of filming the AT taught you uh, to take into a project like that or, or another one? 
Oh man, so much. There, there are so many technical things I learned along the way that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and bore anybody with, but just, you know, how to use a camera better. And, and it's, we're always just students, right? We're getting better and better and better. Uh, the editing process, all of that stuff, I, I think I got a lot better on as time was going along and, and I hope to always get better. Story-wise, um, the acceptance of what the story is giving you, I think is, is something that is really important. Toward the end of being on trail, I would wake up in the morning and accept everything that came to me. You know, I, I really learned how to do that because I think as human beings, maybe we fight that experience. We, we want to curate our world and we're scared of what the unknown might bring. But I think one thing the trail allows us to do is accept the unknown in a big way. And there was, that was no exception in terms of filmmaking to accept anything coming to you. So I'm the type of, I prepare a lot for any sort of engagement. I really enjoy reading becoming totally engrossed in, ex in, a, in an experience. So I'm going to read everything I possibly can about any sort of venture I ever take, ingest it all, have that foundation, script it all out, and then throw it all away and allow it to come to me and know that that basis is there. It's fine. I've done the work. Now I can allow everything to come to me and truly present its beautiful face. You know? Wow. Cool. Um, do you have any plans on doing a different through hike or ever hiking yeah. the Appalachian Trail again? So I, so I do want to do the Florida Trail. We talked about that a little bit. That, mm -hmm. That's on my list for sure. Um, will I ever hike the AT again? That's a pretty common question. I'm sure people ask you that as well. Maybe when I'm, I have no plans to. I, maybe when I'm old and I do it with my grandson or something like that, you know, that'd be, or my granddaughter, of course. That would be a wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. um, the CDT is really appealing to me as well because it's just so like, wild right now you could kind of go there or there or here and it's all part of it you know that's a really neat experience the pct is also intriguing because i live out here now i feel like i'm taking ownership of that mm -hmm. they're also like i mean i want to go explore the world and, and do treks around the world i've i've traveled a lot in my life i've been fortunate to but i've never really trekked around the world and i think that would be an experience so to a concise answer would be yes everything uh, <laughs> the next one will probably be the Florida trail, but who knows? Cool. Mm -hmm. Cool. Will you document it? I'd have to, you know, I mean, yeah. just because I found that, that to be a wonderful artistic expression for me, you know, mm -hmm. whenever I need to slow down, I can take this out and see it through another lens, literally. And that was beautiful, but I'm, op I'm also open to not having that experience. You know what I mean? Whatever the path brings me, that's what it's going to bring. But I think yes is the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to conclude, or we're coming to the conclusion, okay. what do you hope um, your audience or um, people that have watched Pack and Soul, what can they take away from the documentary? I hope they get two things. I hope practically they get just a little glimpse into what the AT might be like. And I truly mean that. I said that on trail and I'm saying it now just a little bit into what the AT might be might might be like. And I say that because it's not for everybody. There are some people who will never hike it and that's fine. Like that's okay. Whether they don't have a will to hike it, whether they physically or mentally are unable to hike it, it would be cool for them to still feel what it's like to be on trail and to provide that experience to them is, is a beautiful, wonderful thing. So that's one to just get a little bit of a glimpse. 
And the other thing I want people to get is the connectivity. The historical connectivity of everybody in this country, the sociological connectivity between human beings as a whole from all walks of life, all shapes and sizes and colors and creeds and ages and ability levels and on and on and on and on. While it is a, an incredibly physically demanding experience, you can do it. I mean, you can. I mean, it. we had people out there who experienced tragedy and car accidents and broke every single bone in their body, but they did it. And we had people who are, how old was Nimble Will, who just completed? Like 80 something. something. Yeah. Like Nimble Will just did it. He's late in his 80s. Little man did it. He's five years old. There are people from every single background. And again, if that's not your thing, that's also fine because there's, there's an entire community around the trail who never steps foot on a trail ever. But they are every bit as important of the, as, to the trail as the hikers are. So the connectivity between human beings and realizing from south to north, east to west, 100 years ago or 100 years down the line, we are all connected by one thing. And that's our humanity and our and our earthliness. Cool. What advice do you have for future outdoor filmmakers? Uh, my advice is to be in the moment first. Be a hiker first. Be an outdoors person first. Be an enthusiast, a lover of where you are first, because that experience will identify what your lens captures. If you try to do it the other way around, which I tried to do it, I mean, it, inevitably, sometimes you fall into that mode. It just becomes trite. It becomes a facade. It becomes a money grab. It becomes whatever that negative aspect of film could be, it becomes that. And in my experience, the best, most authentic, riveting content came from me just being there first and then allowing things to happen. Nice. Nice. Um, what advice do you have for future through hikers? Take your first step. Just take your first step. There's so much that can go into the preparation. And as I said before, I prepare a lot. It's important to prepare, but know that you will be a hiker when you step foot on that trail, regardless of what you brought with you, or what you didn't bring with you, how big your pack or biz or small you will be a hiker and nobody can take that away from you. So take your first steps on trail. Know the trail will provide and call yourself a damn hiker because you are. <laughs> nice. nice. And, and last advice question. Um, what advice do you have for you, Hollywood, who's still on trail or advice for him? <sighs> so even though you finish at Katahdin and then you get back to Katan Dream Campground and Baxter State Park. You leave, you go, you go wherever. You go back to Jersey, Korea, California. You never really get off trail. Like, I never really got off trail. I really didn't. I'm still there in a big way. And having moments like this with people like you, going to all the gatherings, um, making a film about it, it's a wonderful way to maintain that connection. But no matter what, in here, and in here, right? I still, in my pack and in my soul, I still very much am, am on trail and will always be on trail. So my, rec my uh, what, was, what was the question? <laughs> or, uh, just I, advice for you who's yeah. still on trail. Yeah, so my advice, the guy who's still on trail is it's okay to stop 
and look around and enjoy the moment you're in. You're not getting to Maine tonight. And when you do get to Maine, there still will be more adventures yet to come. So enjoy every step because there are, there are no bad states. There are no bad steps. Everything is part of your path. And um, that's a pretty profound thing to, to finally realize. And we're, I'm still trying to realize it, you know? Um, before, before we ask the last question, yeah. I want to know, you're not going to tell us, <laughs> but those last few moments of episode seven, when everyone is giving how many times they did something. Um, we've been speculating. We've we been speculating it that it's something that you said in episode one. It was like the first, it starts with an M. I just don't want to give it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got it. <laughs> no. Nice. Okay, yeah. cool. You got it. There, there are like, yeah, I won't, I won't go too into detail, but there are a couple of questions I actually get asked a lot. One of them is, how do you poop? Where do you poop? One of them is, what do you do for food? Do you hunt? That sort of thing. And then one of them is that, like, well, you, what do you do? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. And I just like, you know, as you were talking about sitting around a shelter, people are just, you just talk about shit. You know what I mean? You yeah. get crunchy with it. And they were all so lovely and willing to throw out their numbers. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was a perfect way to like start it and end it. Yeah. I really, that, that was hilarious. I like that. Thank you so much for watching the whole thing. And again, yeah. oh, of course. it really means a lot that you guys were able to watch. And again, if you watched it and, and it brought you back to trail for just a moment, mm -hmm. I'm so good. That's really all I wanted, you know? Yeah. yeah, there were so many shots of just like a random view and we were like, oh. I remember yeah. when we were there. Like yeah. it was, it was amazing. Yeah, if it put you back on yeah. the trail for even a moment, cool, man. I'm happy. Yeah, thank you for it. It's beautiful. Uh, is there anything that you want to let the through hiking world know, or or uh, how, do you want to promote your documentary that you just released? Sure. So the documentary is called Pack and Soul, and right now it's on Vimeo, um, and you can purchase it. And as we kind of pointed out, each purchase uh, a portion of each purchase will go back to trail organizations or conservation efforts and beyond that's really an important thing to me so that's where the money is partly going to and the money is also partly going to being able to go do more stuff and uh, make more documentaries about trail organizations about trails about exploration and beyond about humanity so um, if you feel so fit to support in that way that's wonderful it will be on Documentary Plus, which will be free for people. Hopefully by February, I'm thinking um, it'll be up there and we can talk about that. Um, and then I, I would just like to say, like, as a trail enthusiast, as a hiker myself, and as people who live in that world, I do believe it's incumbent upon us to respect that world. And human beings, unfortunately, have proven time and time again that we have a hard time respecting this earth. And for those of us who care about it, let's really care about it. You know, so in your local, get involved in your local trail clubs and, or just get out there yourself and, and pick up trash from trails or help do maintenance or help support hikers as they're doing, you know, having their grand adventures and, and really stay involved in that world. Don't let it be something where we're only takers. We can't only take. You know, because mm -hmm. the earth has a lot to give, but if we only take, we will take too much and we will cease to exist and the earth will be living just fine saying you took too much. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. please let's give back as a, as a community 
and, and be respectful of our environment around us. And once we do that, we can enjoy it. And there's so much that we can gain from it. Awesome. Nice. Awesome. Well, you are just thank you for coming on. Like you yeah. are the reason we love doing this, like just gaining new perspective, talking to fellow hikers and Thank you. It was so wonderful. Yeah. I had a blast. I don't know if people watching it had as much fun as I did, or, but I, <laughs> I had an awesome time and you two are fantastic. So keep up the good work, really. Thank you. Thank you too. You. you too. Excited for that hopeful documentary to come out. Yeah. We'll be, it's going to be cool. We'll be on the watch for it. Yeah. yeah. And again, when you're, when you're doing your PCT adventure, please stay in touch with me. We'll drive right out and we'll give you a nice big meal out there. There's a lot of water carries, man. You're going to be carrying water for like oh, 20 yeah. miles. Yeah. Time so to see us there with our like beers and water, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, we know. <laughs> Good. Well, we um, really appreciate it. Yeah. Good luck with everything. Good luck in planning your wedding. Thank you. Congratulations. Yes. Congrats. All right. Awesome. Talk to yeah. you soon. I got to figure out how to get out of here now. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. We'll talk soon. Okay. All, right. all right. Bye. All right. See you later. Did y'all enjoy the conversations with Hollywood? If you want to know more about him, head over to his Instagram, which is at throughguy. Also, again, please go over to vimeo.com and check out his documentary, Pack and Soul. If you want to join in on future live chats, you can head over to our Instagram, which is at Let's Trek Together. We go live once a week, usually on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you want to get in contact with us, feel free to DM us on Instagram or send an email to letstrektogether at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you gave us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you consume this episode. Until next time, guys. Let's, let's trek, trek together. together.